I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Ah, uh, yeah. You know I'm excited today. First of all, we got Jeff Melvin in here bopping okay. his head to the music, okay? Okay, he, okay. where the camera? He of the classic shows uh -huh. that some of them change TV for the better. <laughs> The Mr. Fixer Upper. It's your show. Me some help. Get okay. Jeff. Stats. <laughs> <laughs> the Mr. Fixer okay. We will get you a shirt. <laughs> the Mr. Fixer Upper. That shit is funny. <laughs> a few of my friends do call me the doctor. Oh, the, the doctor. doctor right. Yes. Doctor, doctor. The, okay. He could be the new Dr. J. Why not? Okay. Oh, yeah, Dr. J. I, I can't take it to the hoop by the way. You can't jump on him? No. <laughs> I can say with authority, I have okay. no game. Yeah, no, okay, okay. You write with the pen, though, yes. right? That's it. That's, yes. that's hilarious. Yes. Man's got to know his limitations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriter's Rant Room. We'll be keeping street. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? You heard it, Jeff. 2015. Yes. One yeah. more week. I know. Oh, my God. Well, by the time this episode comes out, yeah. it'll be like, it, we might even be into New Year. Who knows? No, we're, no, we're going to. Okay. We have one more? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know. It'll be 2016. Mm-hmm. So check it out, you guys. Right. On the Rant Room, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, Jeff, you can curse on my show. Yes. <laughs> because, like, here we've been doing this for years. It's like the idea is to help people, you know, because a lot of times when you have uh, organizations or, or people who are doing things, usually people come in and tell you about how they got their start and how mm -hmm. they made it. We don't want, we want the nuts and bolts. Like, we want, like, please give us yeah, how a hard line. Was it? Like, what, what I mean? tell us the real stuff. Don't yes. gloss over. And then I was successful. Mm -hmm. No, we want the nitty gritty. Like, exactly. the babies need to hear real talk. Exactly. Yes. So y'all hear how we do it on the Red Room. That's Lisa Lisa Cold Jam. We call her Lisa Bolakaja, mm -hmm. a.k.a. We call, you know what we call her, Jeff? The street nerdist. <laughs> Why we call you that? Well, because most of the time uh, when <laughs> I'm not voice. on radio <laughs> or, you know, doing my thing, um, a lot of times you'll see me on panels uh, at science fiction conventions and things, and we talk a lot of academic stuff, mm -hmm. like the genre. Not just TV writing and screenwriting, but a lot of it fiction writing, because mm -hmm. you know... As a graduate That's of Clarion, okay. you know, a graduate mm -hmm. of Clarion, sci-fi, mm -hmm. you know, and being published in a lot of stuff. The thing is, our thing is always giving people who are starting out, let them know how to do it mm -hmm. and do it right. And so I can put on my little academic hat. And what else can you put on? But usually on Saturday nights. <laughs> and y'all know me with Saturday Night Five crew. Hello, Geek Soul Brother. We out there live tweeting and just being nerdy. Mm -hmm. And we're about to have our blurred holiday party. Uh, you guys have a party? They, I missed it last year. Okay. But it basically is a bunch of our nerdy friends on Twitter. We get together and we watch films and we talk and we share holiday photos of our nerdy selves. So Lisa is part of this crew, the, the black nerds on Hollywood. I mean, in, um, on, on Twitter. Thousands of them. 
Jeff. And we have other people. Thousands. Who are, we have other and there's people. plenty of people yeah. who listen in too. Well, who aren't black. Who yeah, hang sure, out with sure, us on the thing. sure. But, but that's their hashtag. Cool. You know what I mean? Black nerds or blurds or whatever. Yeah. And I mean. These people are crazy. We're starting to have tough. an impact because people, honestly, people are listening to us because mm-hmm. we are watching these shows. Like, mm-hmm. we watch everything, not just mm-hmm. genre shows. And we are quick to tell you what we like, what we don't like. Um, I'm not going to claim some credit. <laughs> but I will say <laughs> that uh, we did say some things about Sleepy Hollow, one of my favorite shows. Uh-huh. And God damn it, y'all did it in this third season. It. Like, whatever we said on there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, <laughs> some of y'all was kind of harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I was. Uh-huh. I'm just saying, ooh. But that's that's the new thing now. People, yeah. and, 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 and I want to say this to all TV shows. When you have fans um, who are tweeting, even when we come at you hard. Listen to this, Jeff, because okay? this is you. Even <laughs> when we come at you hard, like we don't like certain things, we wouldn't take the time to talk about it unless mm-hmm. we really love the sure. show. And we want to make it better. And of course, as creators of these shows, you are free to do what you want sure. on the show. But... Please don't get your feelings hurt. Because some people get their feelings hurt <laughs> when we talk shit about the show. It's only because we, cause if we didn't like the show, mm. number one, we wouldn't watch it. And we certainly wouldn't waste you our wouldn't time talk about it. talk about it on yeah, Twitter. So please, true. TV shows, film shows, when we talk about you, it's because we love you. Exactly. And it's sometimes it's some hard love. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how the social media has uh, has changed the landscape a bit. Mm-hmm. I recall that we had an evening at the TV Academy for Northern Exposure, and at that point, email was a relatively new yes. phenomenon. And some people uh, quite proudly were asking questions or uh, asking if we read the email traffic that was being generated. And I remember <laughs> one of our writers who was rather curmudgeonly, there were only really five of us, said, uh-huh. you know, you know, send us a snail mail if you really want to get to us. Really? But, well, wow. it was mostly a que- it was mostly a question of uh, not being used to the new media. Now, right. I, I mean, the, and the last show that uh, that I did that ran uh, for any length, uh, Army Wives, uh, I would I would look at the uh, at the page, especially mm-hmm. at the Facebook page, and we mm-hmm. sometimes would have four or five hundred comments mm-hmm. uh, yeah. on an individual episode. Wow. But I, I think it's an interesting for creators or for for executive producers and writers. I think it's it's an important. Uh, factor of what we do, but I, I'm wary about engaging with the listener. Mm-hmm. I think, b- b- at least from my perspective, mm-hmm. uh, people should pay attention to that, yeah. but then what you do with it, that's up to you. Right. Sure. It's like getting notes from an executive. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes we talk about getting the note behind the note. <laughs> exactly. you know, they say, could you make the boy a dog? And you say, well, that's an interesting <laughs> note. Um, <laughs> Why you gotta flatter them <laughs> first? But, right? then, but then what you say? What makes you suggest that? Why would you suggest mm-hmm. that? Well, because I'm thinking the boy's not sympathetic enough. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're looking for more sympathy? sympathy mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that's the note. Mm-hmm. Let us figure out a way to do gotcha. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and gotcha. then you always got to be open that sometimes executives, believe it or not, actually have specific ideas that are mm-hmm. good. But most executives, the best executives, will. Um, will simply suggest that I'm not, that will tell you what I'm interested in anyways. What are you experiencing? Well, I wasn't feeling this, or I'm not feeling that. I'm I'm feeling alienated from this character, or I'm getting frustrated, or Mm -hmm. whatever. And then you say, okay, let me, you know, because you can't argue somebody's feelings. You you can just take it into account. Mm -hmm. And there are certain writers who say, well, that's because you're stupid. You don't understand what we're trying to do. <laughs> right. That's usually not the best line to take right. when you're right. getting a note. And right. especially my feeling about notes is if you get the same note from two different sources, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not exactly the same note, if it's on the same area of the script or okay. the piece, it's like my rule about you know drinking. If one person says you're drunk, you can keep drinking. <laughs> if two people say you're drunk, sit down. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, <clears throat> 
And the same thing with notes. If more than one person points something out, you, you think, okay, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. maybe I should pay attention yeah. to that. And I think in terms of the fan bases, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I think that sometimes where fans need to be educated a little mm-hmm. bit is mm-hmm. that um, uh, the process is complex. Very often what they're talking about, we're already three or four episodes downstream. Sure. Sure. Um, exactly. Which doesn't mean you're being ignored necessarily, but sometimes you're being disagreed with. And if you're being agreed with how mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. work that out, mm-hmm. and also there's a matrix of, of notes that have to be gone through, mm-hmm. and so you as an individual viewer mm-hmm. can get through to me, but then I have to get through to the matrix of people right. that I have sure, to deal sure, with. Sure. So anyway, right. but, it, but, it's, but it is interesting. It's interesting, because I think of all the shows, like I was thinking about, like for example, one of my favorite shows, when I was younger, mm-hmm. when I was still trying to write my little, when I was getting my little rejection letters <laughs> from Norman Lear, when I was trying to write for shows like Different Strokes mm-hmm. and Send It an M was running She's like still. 13 years old. No, right? I was. I, I didn't know. No, and that's when you were brave. Mm-hmm. When you don't know, exactly. you are fearless. You are fearless. And they would say, yeah. and they were so polite. They would mm-hmm. be like, no, we don't take unsolicited. I had no idea what unsolicited meant. <laughs> right. I thought it meant, I, I thought it meant we don't take scripts that are on a different type. I thought it meant a type of paper. Mm-hmm. We don't take unsolicited. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like, right. okay. So I need to get some, you know, some heavyweight paper and uh-huh. I kept sending it in but what I remember was um, I'm just curious to know what it would have been like had we had that type of social media mm-hmm. like when shows like when Remington Still came out mm-hmm. right. I remember that show mm-hmm. like it was suave and it was mm-hmm. one of the cool like female detective mm-hmm. right. and I used to watch that show like my mom used to make chocolate pudding and I'd watch my <laughs> Remington Steel and I would be she's curious she's a foodie now. over here know, Jeff I'm a foodie. Yeah, but as long as she was watching Remington Steel that's cool I was watching all those shows and mm-hmm. it was just like I wonder how it would have been with social media mm-hmm. in terms of us writing to the fan, you know, writing into the shows and some of the changes. I, it's just fascinating to see what, I, I'm curious to know from the executive side, mm-hmm. like how much of an impact does it really have? I mean, we assume they do because they start making changes, sure. but like who sits down and tells the executive, this is what they're saying <laughs> well, about we got the well, man. <laughs> we got the man on the show now. <laughs> okay. But, but, but it's interesting because the creative process and we're all here involved in, in, sure. in that, uh, I remember, I think it was Capra who once said that uh, uh, people say give the audience what they want. The audience doesn't know what they want. They have to be shown what they want. And I think that the problem uh, or a a factor with social media is uh, it... It can it can appear to take on the, the semblance of a democratic process, or, or sure, you know, sure. by committee, this is what we want. Whereas one of the best pieces of advice I've ever read about writers came from a textbook written by a terrific guy who taught at Cal State Northridge, Alan Armour. It's in his book, um, and it's a, give the audience something to worry about, and they'll love you. Mm, and love that, um, yeah. And, and it's true. And if you, if you, I mean, there's examples in TV or, you know, Rhoda, you know, Rhoda gets married, the show mm-hmm. goes off the air. People want Remington Steele and, and, and Laura to get together. Mm-hmm. They do. The show goes off the air. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's that kind of delicious balance with tension. Mm-hmm. And um, I just saw a terrific movie, Brooklyn, beautifully done mm-hmm. movie. But ultimately, um, you know, and I love the film, but beautifully done in every respect. A little mild at the end mm-hmm. of the day, because mm-hmm. I kept saying, I love this woman so much, I don't want anything bad to happen to her. Oh, yeah. okay. And ultimately, nothing bad really did happen to her. Oh, I mean, there was, right. I mean, there was one pivotal event, mm-hmm. but, the, but the ramifications were such that I thought, okay, it, it ended the way I wanted it to, and I'm a little disappointed. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, uh, 
and, 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 and that's no knock on. Turn it. It went and, the way I wanted. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a gorgeous film, and mm-hmm. so it's not to take. But it's interesting. There was a film a couple years back, Chef, that was a very good yeah. Oh, yeah. film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I said, oh, please let things happen mm-hmm. well, you know, turn out well for this guy, and they mm-hmm. all did. And yeah. I thought, hmm, it's not that I don't want a happy ending. It's just it's just how you get there. Exactly. How you get there. You yeah. know, yeah. it. Uh, uh, so the thing about about the social media and about people asking for what they want. I mean, mm-hmm. if you do give the audience what they want, sometimes uh, even with the best intentions, they're going to be disappointed yeah. And, yeah. and turn on you. So it's, it's yeah. that, and I just saw that film Steve Jobs last night, which is an interesting exploration from Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> point of view of uh, somewhat what genius is and mm-hmm. what makes uh, mm-hmm. uh, really. And it all pretty much took place in the. Uh what is it, was it, it in that auditorium and the backstage? It takes place in three separate that? venues, but each one was the occasion for a launch of a new product. Okay, and okay. so they're very similar, even mm-hmm. though the venues are all different. Right. The setup is the same. Okay, and he pretty much goes through the same tropes. There's going to be argument about the product itself. There's mm-hmm. going to be arguments about his coworkers. There's going to be arguments about his parental background, and there's going to be arguments about the fate of his daughter. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and all all those elements combined. But, but it's a it's a fascinating take on mm-hmm. uh, on leadership, egotism, genius, mm-hmm. uh, and how compromised. It is because Steve Jobs, uh, for example, was very much a proponent of the closed-end system. He didn't want people. Remember back in the day when computers first came out, the idea mm-hmm. of having open architecture where you could actually put stuff in slots and have mm-hmm. open slots and mm-hmm. customize it almost like a car yeah. uh, or yeah. a scooter, as the mm-hmm. case may be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was the vogue, and from a very early point, Jobs was saying, "No, it, I'm going to essentially give the people what they want, okay. and, and they will like it." Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't work for a while. Mm. Uh, and now I think we all live in Steve Jobs' world. I mean, I know <laughs> I'm an Apple devotee after having grown up with a PC, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, every few years, oh man, my none of my cables work anymore. With these, I have to change. change oh, yeah. I have to upgrade because the especially cables, Mac people. Exactly. Oh my god. And, and that and that <laughs> that very much was. Yeah, you'll you'll. You'll eat what I serve you, uh-huh. and you'll like it. And but in a curious way, I think his point of view. <laughs> you get a new one. You need a new cord. Oh my god. You need a new battery. Oh my god. So so when it comes to the creative discussion, <laughs> right. you know, it's an interesting line between how responsive. Uh, the, the, the creator, or the creative elements are, the creative people are, to mm-hmm. what the public is saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's hardly a one-size-fits-all situation. We sure. have to be sensitive to it, mm-hmm. and sometimes we really need to be responsive to it. But it all has to be filtered through the artist's sensibility, mm-hmm. because uh, once you lose hold of your centerboard, you're lost. And yeah. so uh, you can, I always think a sailboat's the best analogy for this, or metaphor for this business, because it's not a powerboat. You you don't supply your own juice. And <laughs> you're always sailing either with the wind, against right. the wind. Right. And if you're sailing into the wind, as you know, if you're a sailor, you can't sail directly into the wind. You right. got to attack. You got to keep mm-hmm. moving. And, uh, but you can't go anywhere without a centerboard. Without right. a centerboard, you side slip and you got nothing. So you got to know where you begin and end. And then you can determine how you want right. to set your course. Right. But if you let go of that keel, what got you there in the first place, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're lost. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, let me ask you. I mean, there's so I'm gonna have so many questions for you. It's like ridiculous. Um, um, but let me start here. First of all, let me just. Usually, I I set up people, but fucking everybody knows who you are anyway. <laughs> Jeff fucking Melvoin. Tell, tell <laughs> my wife. That. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing when we had Mrs. Melvoin. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> when we when we had Bill Tob on because all the shows he's done, <laughs> you know, we're like, this is Bill fucking Tob. First of all, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so we feel the same way with you. Um, let's just go back a little bit. Tell people where you came from, how you got into the game, and then let's let's get on your journey because I really want to get into. You're writing, because that's what this show is really all about. Right. Well, you know what I mean? 
So know, go ahead. I'm sorry. What you said earlier about uh, you almost have a, a, a secret identity. You know, a Peter Parker side and a, mm-hmm. and a Spider-Man side, mm-hmm. and uh, or find the equivalent female uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, equivalent there. Uh, I feel the same way in terms of academics and, and you know, theory and practice because mm-hmm. I think it's important to have to have both. And which is uh, just an intro to saying everything I really learned about this business that's fundamentally important to me I learned in high school okay. um, from a great drama teacher. And uh, I grew. Were up, you acting at one point? I was. You know, oh, okay. at least I, I thought I was. I was. I grew up in Highland Park, Illinois, which is a northern suburb of Chicago, mm-hmm. and we had a uh, a great teacher named Barbara Patterson, and um, she just was one of those remarkable Miss Jean Brody type of people mm-hmm. who had powerful inputs on a lot of people's lives. And two of the people that I acted with in high school were Jeff Perry and Gary Sinise. Oh, really? And so, Shut uh, up. And so, Gary Sinise? Yeah. yeah. So that, and, and Gary had just transferred to school my senior year. We did a production of uh, West Side Story in which, believe it uh, or not, I played Bernardo. You did? Uh, yes. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, I dyed my hair black. I played Chino. And he played Pepe. Uh, Gary, 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 Gary had never been in a uh, in a show before. In so his he life. had to dance and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and 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 then it turned. It changed his life. And mm-hmm. th- that's the kind of influence mm-hmm. this teacher had. But she was really uh, so many the, the respect for the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think theater is the best training for Me any too. scripted medium mm-hmm. uh, because it because it just strips it all down to the bare bones yeah. and 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 it, most fundamental the text. And the actors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the direction uh, and, and everything else that goes with it. Of course, the production and and uh, and, and but this teacher taught us not just appreciation for the text and for the history of, of theater, uh, but also how to treat your fellow uh, collaborators with respect. Mm-hmm. And if and, and she would she was fierce about this. You know, you could not. You might have had the lead in the show, but if you didn't treat the, the person, the second assistant prop master, mm-hmm. with uh, respect, you were in trouble. Sure. And uh, those types of... Uh, she also said something that I think is... Uh, I've, I've held on to uh, in Hollywood, but it's difficult, as you'll appreciate, t- to always make it work. But she said, the show is a gift that we give the audience. Yes. That, was her, yes. that was her attitude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and, and so... Uh, with with that in mind, uh, I went to when I went to college. I did. A, I, I thought I was going to um, act a bit and then maybe direct my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, I want to interject one thing about Bernardo. Sure, the thing sure. that distinguishes in, in the history of musical theater, I think it's probably the only lead who doesn't sing in a musical. A- that is totally <laughs> true. Actually, oh, but he has to dance yeah, his butt off yeah, there, <laughs> right? But he has this mono, monotone, you know, mm-hmm. during the uh, the quintet. The, uh-huh. the, the, the sharks are going to have America. their way tonight. Yeah, 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 But it's all like within the range of three notes, which I could probably hit, <laughs> you know, uh, at least on every. And other he has night. like a sing-songy chant yeah. in America, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's no, actually, in the oh, in the in the play, in the he doesn't show, do it. He, the, the the men don't participate That's right. in the That's in right. the play. The mm-hmm. women do it exclusively. So. Uh, so that th- that was just one uh, uh, a fun uh, a fun fact to tell no one tell <laughs> start a musical but don't sing. I want to see those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a couple, and if uh, depending on how this That's interview hilarious. plays out, you may actually get to see it at some okay. point. But when I got to college, I thought I was going to act, and uh, I acted in there was a production of uh, All My Sons by uh, Arthur mm-hmm. Miller in a smaller theater there, and. Uh, uh, we had done Death of a Salesman my senior year. I'd played no, Biff, that's right. and uh, the, the part that I played in All My Sons was the kind of precursor to Biff. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So that was fun. But what I realized is that the training I'd already received in high school was uh, far more than most students that were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were listening. You know, it was mm-hmm. yeah, and oh, and yeah, and and there was so much to to soak up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to direct, and I directed a number of shows okay. there. And and in fact. Uh, and there are friends of mine who say that within 10 minutes of meeting me, I'll always work in the fact that I went to Harvard, which is not true. But it's relevant in this case uh-huh. because uh, I'd actually had the chance to choose between Harvard and Yale. And Yale mm-hmm. had a theater program, but okay. I didn't want to go there specifically because of that. I mean, I loved my interview at Yale, and it's a great mm-hmm. school. But, um, but I wanted to study something else at Harvard and, and then also do all this theater because at the time, mm-hmm. Harvard had no concentration at all dealing with this. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the history, academic history of yeah. theater on the East Coast, uh, George Pierce Baker in the early 1920s left Harvard. He was a famous professor of theater and he left because they wouldn't give him a theater department. So he <laughs> went to Yale to form the theater department. Okay. So, um, so anyway, uh, a, a, a fellow traveler of mine was Ed Zwick, who, who was at, at Harvard for pretty much the same reason, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a year or two ahead of me and directed a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, so that was great. And, and then I started to get into playwriting uh, because uh, I, I started to move further and further behind the footlights from mm-hmm. directing to, mm-hmm. to, to getting more interested in the writing. And there was a, a noted uh, playwright, William Alfred, who'd been there for years. But then my biggest boost was Robert Anderson, the playwright who wrote um, I Never Sang for My Father, T.N. Okay, Sympathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he'd written a number of screenplays, too, including mm-hmm. The Nun Story and uh, The Sand Pebbles. And he was a terrific instructor. And he and I struck up a correspondence that lasted for many years and, okay. and, until he died uh, a little while ago. Um, so that, that's kind of my formative, mm-hmm. that's kind of my, my background, but I, I, what, I, what I really thought was uh, significant what you were saying before is that uh, the academic part mm-hmm. is, I think, it, it's key to who I am in terms mm-hmm. of at least uh, the appreciation for what goes on. And, right. and I felt to the degree that I've had success out here, I felt I've had one foot in Hollywood and one foot in academia, in a way that um, yeah, let me and, let me and, let me just interrupt you real quick. <clears throat> One of the things I like about you, Jeff, is for all the years I only met you like two years ago. For all the years I've I've always always heard of you. I've always heard from writers who've worked on your shows talk about how you were the only EP, or even when you weren't an EP, you were always helping people, trying to help them progress, trying to make them better. Staying later with them, you know what I mean. Helping them in the in the editing, whatever it was, you you're that guy. And whenever I'm part of the edu- education committee, which we'll get into much later, um, and Jeff runs that, and I always come home and I tell my husband, and I'm like, I always feel like we were just in a writer's room, like Jeff just gave us some game on something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like we are in there getting free game, mm-hmm. and the whole freaking union sh- it should be in here right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the whole That's guild, really nice you know. Yeah. Anyway, so go ahead. I just had to give you a little gush right there. Well, I appreciate I mean, I think some of that impulse is, is uh, innate, but some of it also, I, I continually just feel so grateful to my drama teacher in mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you remember when Tom Hanks got up and, and got one of his Academy Awards. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Drama, yeah. And I could really identify with mm-hmm. that because these people have impact on you for your entire life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Barbara June, God bless her, is still... Um, uh, around, she celebrated her 82nd birthday wow, in in, uh, uh, in Nashville, Nashville or Memphis? I think Nashville mm-hmm. now. And uh, anyway, um, <coughs> and, be, and so when somebody's done so much for you, I mean, the, the, the impulse to give back, I think, mm-hmm. is uh, is made stronger. Right. So, uh, but it but it is, uh, I, I you know I think it's I think especially in television, which. Uh, 
a friend of mine who's in movies once said to me, we were riding on a plane together, and he said, you know, Jeff, what you do is a business. What I do, movies, is a hobby. He said, you, 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 um, because it's just, and I don't begin to Because there's no consistency, yeah, no right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That, that, that was his point. Mm -hmm. It's so hit or miss. But, but because one, one of the beauties of TV, and I felt this way even back in the Remington Steel days, which was a much different universe. Oh and we can talk about yes. that. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It was just, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit in terms mm -hmm. of social media, but um, is the beauty of it is there's is the work gets done um mm. you you learn so much mm. and uh and and you don't learn in a vacuum i mean sometimes you have to learn despite other people sure. or in spite of mm -hmm. other people but 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 you do find that there are plenty of people who are willing to um uh, to give you a hand and show you what's going on mm -hmm. and uh, it's so necessary, especially, I mean, it's enlightened self-interest when you're running a show. I want to be surrounded by people who want to have my job and are willing to work hard to get it, you know, because mm -hmm. then I could just sit back and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and delegate more. Mm -hmm. um, so it, but, but the, the, the fact is, uh, TV does rely on so many people pulling oars sure. that, uh, mm -hmm. if you can help them, you're, mm -hmm. you're helping the enterprise, you're helping yourself, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's part of it too. But I also, I don't know. I mean, well, let's talk about what brought you out to LA. Then, when did you finally come out? Um, I, came, I, I came out uh, when I was thirty. What happened? Or actually, I quit when I was thirty. What? Uh, I, I, <laughs> Yo, quit, that's I, what I, that I, I, I quit. I quit. I quit. Yeah. And I'm done. Well, <laughs> what happened like, was, I mean, what? broad strokes is that is that after um, I, I was a, uh, I did a lot of theater mm -hmm. in, in college, and I uh, I wrote a thesis on American detective fiction. Oh, cool. And 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 that was fun, and that plays a part in my life because I remember uh, that the summer that I graduated, I was a counselor up at the, the summer camp I went to up in northern Wisconsin, and I was <laughs> directing the summer show there. And uh, but I remember running into a parent and saying, "So what did you what did you uh, major in?" And, mm -hmm. and I said, a "History and literature." So oh, that's really going to help you get a job. And I remember being very <laughs> very uh, stung by that at the time. Uh -huh. But I'm a firm believer in a liberal arts education without necessarily having any kind of I mean, there's plenty of time to specialize, sure. right? And, and most of what we do in television inherently is on the job training, no matter mm -hmm. how well prepared you've mm -hmm. been, it has to be. Um, but uh, I didn't quite know what I was going to do. I found myself back in Chicago. I had uh, a bout of uh, clinical depression, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I really, um, issues I don't need to go into anymore okay. because I went through that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it was, it, but it was, there, was a, there were a lot of things that, uh, just kind of collapsed on me like a like a house of bricks, mm -hmm. and um, but it didn't take me long with the right therapist to kind of get things sorted out. But while I was in Chicago, I got some uh, uh, graduate business education through a program run by the same guy who now owns Devry, and he has okay. a, a, a separate mm -hmm. program that he ran, and a friend of the family. And with that, I got. Uh, I decided I wanted to travel and I wanted to write, so I thought, well, that sounds like journalism to me. <laughs> and, and then I canvassed all the people I knew who had any connections to journalism. I had an uncle who was in the furniture business, and of all things, he said, you know, every industry has its own newspaper. Ah, and there was something called Home Furnishings Daily. And he mm -hmm. said, I happen to know the publisher of that, which was <laughs> actually part of the Fairchild Group, which was quite a significant group yeah. of papers, including Women's Wear Daily and W Magazine. Mm -hmm. And long story short, I got hired by them. I was a cub reporter in, in Washington, D.C., Mm -hmm. um, after three months, they call me into New York and they say, we'd like to make you bureau chief in Miami. Now, it was one-person one bureau. But, uh, uh, but, but I learned an important it lesson. It sounds good, though, right? I, I, I learned an important lesson because I said, do you think I'm qualified? And they got upset. They said, do you think we'd offer it to you if we didn't think you're qualified? Uh, yeah. And so I learned, you know, never complain, never yeah, explain. Never, yeah, you know, yeah. To take mm -hmm. it. And so went down there, did that. Um, 
I still had the pull to come back to this kind of business because mm -hmm. that's kind of, I said, this isn't really what I'd set out to do after school uh, except as a way to learn things. I actually uh, was going to apply to Yale Drama School. I went up to Yale Drama School, uh, did not like my interview there, <laughs> and, and, and uh, did not like, I realized that the academic environment was not going to be the place for me, and they decided mm -hmm. the same thing. Um, <laughs> Ultimately, it's but, a mutual decision. Uh, right, right. <laughs> but my brother was teaching at Deerfield Academy at the time, and okay. I went out to Deerfield Academy, and uh, lo and behold, met a guy from Sports Illustrated who was talking to their young journalists there. Hmm. And he and I, a uh, guy named William Oscar Johnson, and we became friendly, and he said, well, what are you doing down in Florida? And I said, well, I'm about to take a trip with this media magnate who, uh, who sails, and I'm going to write that up because I had sailed when, and, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, what's the guy's name? Ted Turner. He said, oh, we, we've heard of Ted Turner. Why don't you send me the article when you finish? Hmm. So I did, and he ended up getting me interviews up in New York, and I worked for People Magazine for a little while okay, during the summer. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah. And, then I, and then I got an offer uh, from Time to, yeah. uh, to, to be mm -hmm. a correspondent. And, and mm -hmm. they were on a push to get younger writers, and uh, I was 25, and I said, well, this isn't what I want to do, but I can do this for five years and quit when I'm 30 and still mm -hmm. have my creative life ahead of me. I mean, the <laughs> fact that he said that, like, okay, I'm going to come in here, <laughs> and I'm quitting at 30, because mm -hmm. this ain't what I really want to do, <laughs> but I'm going to do it for now. Uh, I'm just letting y'all know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you did it. Well, I think the only person I said that to was myself. Okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then I had a good run at time. I worked in the New York Bureau. I was transferred to, uh, to Boston, and, and then I was going to quit again, I was still feeling the pull to come out here, and mm -hmm. I told my brother, I said, I'm going to quit. He said, why don't you even get transferred? I said, no, there's an idea. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I, so I, I, requ I requested a transfer to Los Angeles, and it took, uh, it took about a year to come through, and time had been hit with a series of people getting moved, because the company would move you, oh, yeah. and then leaving. I said, well, I'll give them at least a year. I won't, I won't do that to them, and I think I gave them two. I came out here and uh, had a great run of stories, mm -hmm. and um, what had happened, I'd, I'd Put in it, it, I, two stories in Hawaii that I had suggested that were great. So I spent. You just want to go to Hawaii? Yeah. Does that? <laughs> well, it was. It was. It was I, I could go into the details, but, but, <laughs> but it was. It was really coincidental. I'd, I'd, I'd suggested a story on triathlons a while back, and okay. they they and, and, and had written it up uh, on local triathlons other than the Ironman, mm -hmm. and it didn't run. So that was on, which wasn't uncommon at the mm -hmm. time. You know, it was sure. written but didn't run. And then I'd suggested a story on Hawaiian cowboys because I'd seen something in the mm -hmm. LA Times about it and not realized that there were cowboys in Hawaii before there were cowboys on the Great yep. Plains. Mm -hmm. and, Especially uh, the big island, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, that's where I went. And mm -hmm. uh, Well, actually, I, I went to Maui to the Ula Palakua Ranch. But okay, that Parker yeah. Ranch is the one on the mm -hmm. big island. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I, they said, well, do that story. Oh, and by the way, we're going to revive the uh, triathlon story, and the Ironman's going on right during that period of oh, time. Okay. So I had three weeks in Hawaii. There you go. Came back on a Friday. On a Monday, there had been a police shooting in Arizona they wanted me to cover that was very interesting. Went hmm. out and did that. All three stories ran. Um, at the time, the magazine wasn't giving bylines except grudgingly, and I got bylines on them. They wow. even used my headline and my subhead. You were hot. Stories. Okay. <laughs> and so I said, that's it. I quit. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Go out uh, on a high note, right? Go on a high note. And <laughs> exactly. Here's right. my byline. <laughs> and that's literally what happened. And then, no. and, then I, uh, uh, and then I called a friend of mine who was working at, M at MTM, and I said, uh, now what I would do is, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to write scripts. And he said, for movies or for television. Mm -hmm. I said, what's the difference? And, uh, yeah. and he said the difference is that nobody tells Paramount how many movies they have to make every year, but TV needs three hours of primetime every mm -hmm. night, and that was the start. So that's that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the 
that that's the way I got out here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was get, nice that you knew somebody from Mary Tyler Moore. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, it was, but he was he was a, a junior exec, and he uh-huh. was a peer of mine, and I'd gotten to know him. Our parents had been friends, and I met him when he was studying at Northwestern, yeah. as a matter okay. of fact, yeah. and teaching at Northwestern. Uh-huh. And um, so he was working his way up, and he gave me a great deal of help getting uh-huh. started. And uh, Remington Steel had just come out. And yeah. back then in those days, spec scripts were exclusively... I'd written oh a pilot, and nobody wanted to see a pilot. No if one. you wrote a spec pilot, it would, tell, it would tell people you knew nothing about the business. Yeah. Um, because before you could write like nobody else, you had to prove you could write like everybody else. Whatever show, mm-hmm. yes. And, and, yes. And there wasn't such great variety. And yeah, because you only had the major networks, pretty much, and maybe a couple of cable shows here and there, but pretty much... Like you said, like you could get a show. I'm sure somebody has seen one of the shows on there, and they could pretty much like, yeah, these characters work. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Well, and the, and the fact is that the genre divisions were very distinct, and within each genre, there were a number of different samples. I think sure. when when I wrote my Remington Steel sample, there was Riptide, there was. Uh, uh, Heart to Heart. Oh, there God, were, Heart you know, to Heart. There were, uh, love Heart uh, to Heart. You know, Simon and Simon. Yeah. Oh, I mean, hey, that's uh, my hometown. You know, <laughs> so, so there were, there were so, or Magnum. So you could write one script and people would say, well, this will serve as a spec for uh, mm-hmm. something else right. as well. And, it's your uh, calling card, right? Yeah, and it was true. But I mean, mm-hmm. people could, there was also an assumption back then that you would know, uh, and you would know all the shows that were on the air. It wasn't that hard to keep track of. There were three networks. Fox, many, right? Fox, oh Fox was just coming on. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, all you had to know was, know was one, one representative show in each genre because then you could read a script it, in that yeah. genre and say, okay, well, we can plug and play. I mean, there, mm-hmm. were, re- there were distinctions between the networks, but they weren't very pronounced. Right. Um, and there were advantages to that. There were disadvantages. Ultimately, there were great disadvantages to the viewership, but, uh, but as a writer breaking in, mm-hmm. there, were, there were many advantages to that, I think. And also, it was, it's, it's always, TV has always been an exclusive club, but it wasn't as hotly competitive a club Definitely. as it is now. And uh, and good writing has never come easy, and there has always been good writing. I think there's never been more good writing than there is today. Oh, but Lord. but but even going back to the '60s um, uh, and the first golden age of television, there were some fantastic writers writing mm-hmm. writing then. But uh, anyway, I, I I wrote my spec Remington and uh, ended up. Through a series of, they bought a scene from it. Um, and, how does that happen? Uh, yeah, how does that happen? What, what happened was, I, I the first scene in the in the script I wrote was a costume party, and I was trying to have fun with Remington and Laura, and so he was dressed as Sherlock Holmes, and he had dressed her up as a bunny, not as a Playboy bunny, but as a cute little bunny. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they were trying to. I mean, this is so embarrassing, but it turns out that they were. <laughs> this they, is the eighties. Right. Hey, there is no shame. Right. <laughs> there was some thief who was hitting big parties and stealing jewelry and um, so they were there undercover at this costume <coughs> party and uh, it turns out that the guy who was uh, the thief in this case was disguised as a carrot and so you know, the <laughs> carrot the carrot steals the, uh, the, the something and uh, and Remington uh, shouts out stop that carrot or Laura shouts out. And, and so Michael Gleason who ran the show who created the show said I had to meet the writer who could write stop that carrot That's funny. Uh, but he also he took the idea of a costume party and transplanted it to another script they were okay. doing about the southwest and uh, um, and it became a Zorro. Stop that Zorro became the tagline. Oh, okay, okay. But he said, "I'm going to pay you uh, under the table. I'm going to pay you three hundred dollars for this, <laughs> with the promise okay. that um, that if the show is picked up, you'll get a script." Oh, and okay. so, uh, at the time, I had an agent who had signed on just briefly with me, and he tried to get story money. At which case, I fired him and said, "No, I'll take the three hundred dollars." And um, and the show came back, and they gave me uh, a script, and that script. Oh, he kept his word. Yeah. yeah, and the script uh, turned into a, a staff, a chance to be a staff oh, nice. writer, and uh, that was it. Uh, nice. 
Oh, Pierce Brosnan. That's when the first time I saw him, and mm-hmm. it was such a fun show. I, you know what? It, there were a lot of fun shows in the '80s because another show them. that you that you wrote on, which was like at the time, it was like one of those quirky things. I think I didn't think would ever get on TV. But a lot of them were quirky yeah, back then. Yeah, you know what I mean? Northern Exposure. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. that was like a game changer. Number one, Definitely. it was like the first time you had a lot of native actors on the show, and I was like, oh True. my god, they got my peeps on mm-hmm. there. That's exciting. <laughs> and it was like it was just a different show. Like I couldn't even. I mean, it was kind of a comedy. Comedy. It was just like a combination of. It was just quirky. Mm-hmm. I guess like the best word I can come up with it because it was like you could watch that show, and the characters were more interesting in terms instead of whether whatever the plot was. I didn't even care. Mm-hmm. It was the characters, okay. and it'd been a long time slice because most shows, you know, you have your characters and oh, it's the plot. It's plot driven. This happens. You know, procedurals, that kind of thing. Sure. But with Northern Exposure, <clears throat> it was just like. I could just sit here and drink my little cocoa and just hang out. Like, I wanted to go hang out at right, this right. place. Yeah, we used to say about act breaks that our car chases were dream sequences. Okay. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, it was Josh Brand and John Falsey, who created the show, had so much experience at that point that they, they, they were experienced enough that they could do pretty much anything they wanted with the craft. And mm-hmm. so our, we almost had the anti-act breaks. You know, the, wow. I mean, what brings an act break, what brings you back from an act break is simply you want to see what's going. But mm-hmm. sometimes, we would let the audience down so gently. Go, wait, what? What? You know, it's like, <laughs> what just happened? What did you just say? It could be a moment of whimsy. It could right. be, you know, you need a little a look situation or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. right. It did not have to be yeah. a car crash right. or oh my god, there's a body in the closet. Right. You know, it, uh, right. uh, and so it, it was. And I, at that point in my career, it was the perfect time for me to join that that staff. I mm-hmm. had uh, Remington led to Hill Street Blues in mm-hmm. its final season, and mm-hmm. then I had four years of development when overall deals actually meant something. And I wrote mm-hmm. a number of pilots, and three of them got produced and none of them made the fall schedule which probably in retrospect was good for my career and for my marriage um, mm-hmm. wow. because <laughs> because there was no showrunner training program and mm-hmm. it probably would have been overwhelming uh, both uh, yeah. from a, a, a psychological point of view and, and just a logistical point mm-hmm. of view but uh, so I was thinking about maybe writing films. I'd spent four years, and uh, uh, Columbia TriStar had been very good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but after four years and no hits, uh, they were you know it was time to let. That's this, when they were giving writers deals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, time to let the pitcher go, you <laughs> yeah. know, and yeah. uh, find another squad. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I thought I want to write movies. And my wife said, Oh, there's a new show that just came on that I think you'd really love. And it's called Northern Exposure. It's mm-hmm. about this Jewish doctor and all that. And I said, it can't be as good as you say it is. <laughs> so, so I watched an episode, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, it is as good as you say it is. Mm-hmm. There's no way it's going to last. Mm-hmm. And then it came back for eight more episodes, at which mm-hmm. point my agent got in touch with them, and mm-hmm. I was hired on episode Because they did it as a summer replacement series. Right. Oh, eight okay. episodes and right. then eight more episodes. And, it, and I was hired for episode at episode 17 mm-hmm. and stuck with it to episode 113. Oh, so wow. it, was, uh, mm-hmm. it was a good run. After the first full season, uh, CBS ordered 50 50 wow. episodes, wow. You know, two seasons of 25. Wow. So those were the days. That's, that's so un- yeah, it's so unusual. <laughs> They're like, so we're I, giving you 13 yeah. now. Yeah. But, but plus, <laughs> but, but, but that, you know, as you say, that the, the unique qualities of that show, um, and unique is a word that gets used um, far too often. Sure. It was truly unique. There mm-hmm. hadn't been anything like it before, and there hasn't been anything like yeah, it after. It really and people compared us to a couple other shows that came around at the same time, including Picket Fences, including mm-hmm. Twin Peaks, both of which had their virtues. But right. mm-hmm. but if you closely analyzed, had very little uh, in mm-hmm. common. Mm-hmm. It, for, they had very little in common with each other, right. except they were all interesting and unusual so right. people had to categorize them as oh these are all three quirky shows right. but they were yeah, all twin, v- twin peaks mm-hmm. ain't 
Then it then floats your boat. Okay. That's dark, creepy. What you like? Right. And picket fences with David Kelly's own invention, yeah. and uh, uh, and it had its own its own thing. So, but uh, one of the sad things is. Uh, of all the shows I've worked on, mm-hmm. and I've worked on about a dozen now, and, and including many that you've, uh, that doesn't include some that you've never heard of for mm-hmm. probably rightful reasons. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, that's the one that I get asked about the most, mm-hmm. and that generates the most uh, devotion mm-hmm. and uh, and wistfulness about why did that show go off there. And the sad thing mm-hmm. is, you couldn't sell that show today. You couldn't. You could not put that show mm-hmm. on the air. And looking at it. Um, you can look at it and say, okay, by today's standards, perhaps it was a little slow um, because we'd have scenes that we, just as an example, when we were breaking story there, getting into the craft of it, uh, an outline was about uh, 24 beats. Mm-hmm. The okay. A story was 12, sto- 12 beats mm-hmm. roughly, and the B and C stories were six. And okay. it could change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could have an A story that had 17, 18 beats, and then you'd have to adjust accordingly. But overall, the way we beat it out in a beat was roughly a scene. Um, sometimes you'd have beats within the same scene. If you're in a bar like the brick and you had mm-hmm. three different mm-hmm. stories intersect, each of those would be considered a separate beat because okay. you're, you're, okay. You're, revi- you're visiting different stories. Okay. But... Uh, but that was that was roughly it, and we were we were. Uh, were you guys four acts back then? Or you, yes, and yeah. uh, I mean I think there was a teaser, and and then four acts. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but it was truly a teaser. It wasn't mm-hmm. like these twenty minute teasers. Here. <laughs> no, I know. I know. And uh, we're going to call it a cold open and said, "No, it's an act. That's an act, right? Exactly. And and we also had a theme song, which I really miss. I mean, I think people really associated, and we could we could spend a lot of time going over our favorite theme songs. But you know, they 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 elicited a certain response. And when people think of Northern Exposure, one of the first things that comes up, oh, I love that moose. Mm-hmm. You know, the yes. moose walking down Main Street yeah. Uh, yeah. was uh, with the music. And you mm-hmm. hear that that great music that David Schwartz wrote. And, mm-hmm. and you think, wow. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, 24 beats. And I think back then, today, an hour of television with the commercial interruption is 42 and a half minutes. And I think back then, it was like 46. Mm-hmm. Back in the 60s, it was 52. Yeah. Uh, wow. The reason why it's changed is because the FCC rules on how mm-hmm. much advertising they right. can be allowed to mm-hmm. sell. Right. So we were filling more time uh, than they do today with 24 beats. And a typical, even on a show like uh, Army Wives, which is not as known as a breakneck uh, speed show, mm-hmm. but that's the last one I worked on, typically we'd have 45 to 48 beats in an hour. Okay. And I think most shows you talk to, that's it. That's the minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's because our t- uh, well, one thing is that I think just from a uh, technical perspective, the cameras, all the technology, including the editing of facilities, al- allow you to to do more sure. in the same time. Mm-hmm. I go back and look at the Remington things, and I remember the Remington. I, I did some DVD commentary, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I remember you know it had to be on sticks or it had to be on a dolly, and mm-hmm. so you had to be very. You know, usually mm-hmm. a person would come. You guys are shooting on film. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, you rem- and the light was blown out because mm-hmm. you had to move Man. quickly, and so I remember directors saying, "Okay, we'll come in here with the two of them. We'll move into the single over, get the reverse, and we're out." And that mm-hmm. was the, you know. That was the way you thought about right. it. And, and directors would have to decide what are the two or three sequences they really wanted to spend right. the most time. And that's right. still true. Yeah. But, but within that, that general framework, they can do a lot more with the technology that we have today. Okay. But um, so it, it was a, it was a it, it, so Northern Exposure did move at a slower pace. I mean, we would have two and three page scenes. And if you read scripts today, it's unusual, I think, on average, mm-hmm. to see 
uh, that. It's funny that some of the more premium shows are the ones that, in, in my opinion, are the most conventionally old-fashioned in the best sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the HBO and Showtime stuff are the ones that aren't afraid to stay in a master, for oh, yeah. example. So, you don't yeah. have to be cutting back. And, and the right. scenes will be and five the, pages and, long. And right. Page long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh, and there's a lesson there, right. but 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 I don't think that uh, uh, I don't think that necessarily the networks are hearing it because it's mm-hmm. like more, faster. You know, that pace yeah. is not mm-hmm. strictly a matter of speed. Correct. Pace is about variety. It's right. about dynamics. And that's right. something I learned in high school, yeah. you know, in, in drama. I mean, my, my, I remember Mrs. Greener, she was greener than Patterson, saying, <laughs> um, you know, if you come in shouting, you have no place to go. And mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes if you want yeah. attention on stage, you've got to drop your yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all yeah. depends. And sometimes mm-hmm. the way to create pace is by pausing. And, and mm-hmm. all these things. Curiosity um, and all this right. stuff. I mean, things you can learn as a high school student mm-hmm. if you're really into it. Right. Um, you can apply the rest of your life. And, and so uh, I think Northern, we had all of that. Um, but we didn't move the camera a lot necessarily, mm-hmm. and I think by today's standards, people say, "What's wrong with?" It's like I, I couldn't get my kids to watch Marx Brothers movies because <laughs> essentially it was like watching a staged uh, mm-hmm. piece of theater. Yeah, and <laughs> and just the format alone, mm-hmm. the black and white was one thing, but mm-hmm. the fact that the camera was fixed, and uh, right. I just don't think they were. That was not a language. It was yeah. like speaking. We're locked in that three second. Yeah, you got to keep. Right. Every three seconds, you gotta. <laughs> it's like the music videos. Oh, I can't watch it, it, them. They're it, just like crazy. Yeah, it's it, it's like speaking Castilian instead of Spanish, or speaking like right. the you know mm-hmm. court, courtly English back in the right. uh, days sure. of Chaucer, as opposed right. to modern English. Mm-hmm. They just they can't relate. Oh you my know? god. So, but 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 Northern, it, it, it's an interesting discussion point because it's the gatekeepers who are determining what what we're watching Mm -hmm. um, and as powerful as the social media crowd like you say can Mm -hmm. be and what people want if they're not given a chance to see it they can't create it and and I think that the uh, uh, the better gatekeepers are the ones that are willing to take a chance and Mm -hmm. we know that uh, I remember in the old days anyway about 82% of new shows fail every year this was on the broadcast standard and so why not roll the dice but uh, this brings me to another pet peeve which I think most executives operate uh, their, their, their ethos is not to it, it's not to promote success but to rationalize failure so we made these decisions we made these decisions because we went with this guy because right. he'd gotten something on the air before right. uh-huh. but it didn't work yes but he got it on the air you know it's yeah. it, it's, yeah. it's uh um, and I can understand it. I mean, I think an executive's first job is to save their job. And uh, <laughs> let me ask you a question. But, they, but then it's like they're they're afraid. They can't do anything. They're like I, they're kind of stuck. And mm-hmm. it's horrible feeling. Well, their job's on the line. I know. But at the same know. time, it, it cripples them from being able to take right. a chance. And by the way, let, let, let me let me just say, I have a lot of respect for for um, for virtually all the executives yeah. that I sure. that I work with, and and uh, and talk about women in the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the in TV, the the water is being carried largely by women. Mm-hmm. Uh, the middle level executives. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the high-level executives, right. but the women who really do the work and uh, mm-hmm. read the scripts and are encouraging and are the interface right. and have mm-hmm. to relay the unfortunate messages and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, women, right? But that being said, it's it's a tough corporate environment when mm-hmm. you can't, you know, the kind of thing as I want. I want your opinion. I'll give it to you. You right. know, it's right. uh, it, right. it's the rare executive who can really say, let's take a chance on right. this, and uh, and that's nothing new. But mm-hmm. it's but but it's curious that in today's. Um, in today's fractionalized environment, mm-hmm. there's kind of a new tyranny. Uh, it might have been a tyranny of conservatism in one sense in the, when I started right. uh, in terms of not offending advertisers. Sure. And I think there's an equal tyranny now towards dark and edgy. Okay, I, they have to be having sex within the first three minutes. Okay, mm-hmm. there has to be a slashing murder, and I mean right. blood hitting the lens mm-hmm. uh, within the first five minutes. Right. That becomes as much of a trap as something that's stayed and uninteresting right. because, because form should follow function. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think one of the best examples of that is uh, Mr. Robot, which is one of the most interesting oh, new shows oh, on the air. And uh, oh, very, very mm-hmm. original thing. 
thinking, you know, mm-hmm. just and and uh, um, and, and, and I'm really I really feel you know God bless them. You know? Yeah. Well, what are some of the changes? Because I know that in the golden, the golden age of television, <laughs> you know, when you could write for a show and that was it, but now you have to do the spec because there's so many. It's still competitive, but there's so many venues now it's to get product. Like you've got now, Netflix yeah. and Amazon doing their own, you know, programming stuff. You've got like HBO Showtime. Um, how harder is it? I mean, from your perspective, from your experience, from from coming from like the '80s and knowing how it used to be, what are some of the new pressures now to breaking in as a writer and actually being a good writer when there's so many places to get stuff now? It's, it's really- an excellent question because I, I do feel I was the beneficiary of an environment where, because it was a smaller club mm-hmm. uh, and with less competition, because uh, film writers didn't even want to do it back then. Oh, you know? oh when I, you know, I was a guild board member in the uh, in the early two thousands, but mm-hmm. coming up in the guild, the divide between uh, that's just another marker. If you want to take a look mm-hmm. at markers, mm-hmm. um, movie writers held themselves off as greatly superior to TV sure. writers, and uh, there was a real snobbery involved, and it was mm-hmm. a problem politically for the guild. Mm-hmm. Um, that has flipped in the sense that that the political weight within the guild. Mm-hmm. Um, is I, I think largely tipped towards the showrunner type of of, sure. uh, of writer because mm-hmm. of the, the amount of business. I mean, mm-hmm. it really has to do with the uh, with the economics of it, mm-hmm. um, and the issues that dominated uh, some of the filmmakers, some of the movie writers' um, uh, minds. The the things that were concerned to them have somewhat disappeared or been pushed to the back. But the digital revolution has made us all brothers and sisters under the skin mm-hmm. much more than they mm-hmm. used to be. Mm-hmm. We're all just from the worst corporate perspective. We're, just, <laughs> we're all just making content. Sure. And what are that? And, and to me, it's just a question: of What silo do you put it in? Mm-hmm. If it's really, you know, do we do we release it in a theater or do we put it on your cell phone? Mm-hmm. Um, it. But 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 to the people who are uh, making these decisions and throwing these levers, it's just content. Sure. And um, and I got to say that in terms of the sophistication of the viewer. Uh, the idea that you could watch Lawrence of Arabia uh, on a smartphone mm-hmm. um, might have been ludicrous. First of all, <laughs> don't do that. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but, you are cheating yourself. Right. <laughs> but you can, and it's done. And that, yeah. that, 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 that the, yeah. my kids' generation and their kids' generation, what screen they look at it on mm-hmm. is, is going to be... Uh, uh, is going to be uh, interesting because I don't think that the big screen... Ex- well, I, you see it happening now. The big screen experience is increasingly t- tilting towards those films that take advantage of the big screen experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, you know, and there's some great examples of it, but uh, but it's but it's but it makes it tougher. I, I, as I tell people, just half-jokingly, um, there's a new name for independent film. It's called television. And, uh, <laughs> you uh, say that all the time. Right, right. right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... And, and that's facts. And, that's true. true. And it's, it's true. true. I mean, if you're if you're an you know if you're an actor, director, writer, uh, looking to get your work done, mm-hmm. and actually in a form that allows you to explore it and mm-hmm. learn from it, which is one of the great things about episodic content, is right. you can learn from it. As you say, well, gee, I didn't think that character was going to be important, but look what happened. Right. On the other hand, this character that I thought was going to be great, that's not working. Right. Mm-hmm. So that character goes away, and this other one, she comes up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yep. uh, it's it's a beautiful thing when right. it works, and uh, even when it doesn't work, you get paid. So it's nice, you know. <laughs> uh, but but but. To the young writer today, it, it is the, the um, and for a couple of years now, I've been working on a book called Letters to a Young Television Writer, oh, and good. it may be one of these days That's gonna be a hit. I'll finish no, it. No, it, 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 it needs to, because one of the things I think is missing is these mentorships in mm-hmm. terms, especially with all these new shows, and you're getting showrunners who mm-hmm. have no experience tasked with, you know, because they've written this fantastic pilot, mm-hmm. we're going to make that show, and you're like, oh shit, they're making it now, and then it's like, how does a newbie 
do it, you know, mm-hmm. where are the mentors or showrunners from? Right. There's, there, there's a trap that I, uh, I call the Hail Mary syndrome where, <laughs> where you can come out of SC or AFI or, or UCLA or uh, Columbia, mm-hmm. you know, NYU, whatever it is, any place. You don't even have to go to film school. Like I didn't go to film school. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you but had you, life experience. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and, and I can talk about that because I think that that's, <laughs> uh, that's key. Because I think that that's underrated. Day, yeah. We can talk about the whole writer's assistant mm-hmm. uh, step up toward, toward Sure. Yeah, which, 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 well, we'll go there in one sec, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think that um, I had a point, and now it's floating away. <laughs> uh, uh, um, oh, I'm talking about the, the, the Hail Mary syndrome, which is yeah. that you can write a script uh, that comes to people's attention as a pilot, mm-hmm. and uh, here's here's kind of the worst case: is it gets bought, it does not get made, but it gets bought, mm-hmm. and. Um, and or let's say it gets made, but it doesn't it doesn't go. Now your agents are telling you, hey, Lisa, let's write another one. You know, don't go on staff. You know, we're going to sell your show. Yep. And this goes on for two or three years. And suddenly you're no longer 24 years old. You're 27 mm-hmm. years old, yep. you're 28 years old. And somehow mm-hmm. the people who are getting on staff are a learning a lot about the business, b making a lot more money than you are mm-hmm. uh, and c learning what they need to. So if they get their pilot made, they right. have a greater shot of, of being at the table. It. They right. may not be able to run it. If right. they get into the showrunner training program, depending on where they are, mm-hmm. they might might like Matt Nix was a lot. He, mm-hmm. he was one of he was in our first class or second class of uh, the showrunner training program and opened my eyes to what was happening in the business, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. has been a great benefit. But um, but uh, but in most cases, if you don't have that experience, even if your show gets picked up, you're saying, yeah, you're the schmuck that gets to sit by the door, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And and depending on who you're partnered with, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully there's a lot of good showrunners out there, yeah. and a lot of generous But you're people. one of those guys that they bring on to help cats who get their new shows or whatever. Because right? you know I mean? the reputation I always get when mm-hmm. I when, when your name is brought up is like the guy who fix, who gets the show going, mm-hmm. who's the fixer, who makes it work. The quicker fixer up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, who comes in and like, all right, let's get this moving, mm-hmm. let's get it going. Well, well I got to say with respect for my sisters and brothers out there that, that getting a show on the air to begin with is a hugely it's, difficult yes. process and and mm-hmm. and so in some ways the job of coming in and looking at a disaster or something that's that's in chaos or that needs help mm-hmm. is because uh, it doesn't have to be in chaos to need help mm-hmm. um, but 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 let's just use that as an extreme example mm-hmm. uh, when I came into uh, Army Wives which was a brilliant pilot mm-hmm. um, but they'd shut down after the second episode wow. and oh. uh, and that's spending a lot of money. That's mm-hmm. like 150 grand a day as mm-hmm. people are waiting around for scripts. And it was a very traumatic situation. But there was a certain advantage to saying, I love this pilot. I get mm-hmm. it. I can see where things, you know, mistakes were made mm-hmm. in terms of getting it started. Um, I think I see a way out. And mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Fouget, who was the creator of the show, was still on board. And she's a tremendous, talented writer. And I said, if I can utilize her in a certain way, mm-hmm. then we can actually begin to write ourselves out of this. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, and we did. Um, but the advantage was I had all this stuff to react to, mm-hmm. and, and including and the most fundamental thing was that I loved the show. Right. I mean, um, I remember when when I my agent called and said there's a Lifetime series that uh, is interested, and I said I'm, I'm not interested <laughs> in a Lifetime series. Mm-hmm. He said it's called Army Wives. I said I'm really not interested in something called Army Wives. And then he said, Well, ABC Studios is doing it. You've just come off a deal with ABC. They'd love mm-hmm. for you to look at it. So I looked at it and I said, Wow, I don't care what you call this or what network right. it's on. Um, this is terrific. So there was and, a lesson for you two in yeah. there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, and I think that given the luxury, I mean, I think that I also tell people that the no's that you say in this business are as important as the yeses. Hmm. But and I think it's important to know when to say no. Mm-hmm. But when you're beginning your career. Um, 
there's many more reasons to say yes most of the time than there is to say no. It's as you're beginning to get into that level where you're building a, a, a reputation that, you know, whether you go on uh, something like, just as an absurd example, Hill Street Blues or My Mother the Car, you mm -hmm. know, it uh, mm -hmm. that will say something about where your sensibilities lie. Mm -hmm. And My Mother the Car was enjoyed by a lot of Jerry Van Dyke fans. <laughs> but uh, but, but, it, but it's, it's just to say that... Uh, uh, you begin to get labeled a little bit, and mm -hmm. and going back to, to to your earlier question about breaking in, right. back then, um, every year it seemed like there were two or three writers in the episodic one hour episodic, which is what I know, uh, field that would get a reputation and, and uh, a good reputation, and people mm -hmm. say that's a person to watch. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to be the beneficiary of that. Today, that notion is absurd. The idea that that two or three people, first of all, such a small number of people would get noticed, and that it would have meaning within the larger um, uh, stratosphere of mm -hmm. who is making television would seem ridiculous with over 400 scripted shows yeah. being made. You, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's even people getting shows made and getting critical acclaim are disappearing because they oh, can't yeah. get enough attention. So yeah. the idea that you just wrote a spec script and were hired on a show and somebody said that's a person to watch right. is is um uh, it, it, it is absurd because of mm -hmm. because just of how much the universe has, has exploded and uh, uh and so it's difficult and and like i said back then the rules were much easier mm -hmm. and like so many things in society when things were simpler I'm not sure they were more innocent. They had a more innocent appearance, but things were certainly simpler. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and when you knew what the rules were and there were fewer rules, it was easier to play by those mm -hmm. rules. Um, when Walter Cronkite gave you the news and was considered the most trusted man in America, mm -hmm. that says something about the time we were living in, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and Murrow and people like that. You right. could say, if Walter says so, it, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's got to be Uncle Walter. If he had right. okay. speaks. <laughs> right. And if I wanted to watch what was important in entertainment, I'd watch Ed Sullivan, because yeah. that's where everything right. we did. And... Again, that, I think that notion is so alien to uh, our kids today and, and to successive generations that there could have been that much concentration mm -hmm. of publicity and sure. the ability the Beatles go on the air mm -hmm. and, and 70 mm -hmm. million homes tune into it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Everybody that has a television is right. watching. I mean, when you talk about water cooler conversation, <laughs> right. it, was, it was genuine. Right. And the, 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 I mean, there was, there was something very, um, certainly significant and, and in some ways, and you don't want to get overly sentimental about it, but there was something significant about the fact that as, as a country, uh, we pretty much knew what we were all watching. Mm -hmm. And that could equally be argued that there was something really uh, deadening, stultifying, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, whatever diversity is the opposite of it um, mm -hmm. by that. And mm -hmm. it's, that's also true. Mm -hmm. But I think in, in the uh, rushed, sometimes condemned those days, you, there's a tendency to perhaps overlook some of the virtues of sure. it, too. And, and I think we're having that problem now. I think mm -hmm. all of us um, I heard you talking before about all the different shows that you have queued up. Mm -hmm. It's, it's. Uh, I, I heard uh, uh, John Landgraf use the word that he's looking for that the audience needs a curator. These things need to be curated, mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was a good choice of, mm. of of words for it. That that we've gotten to the point where you can't watch everything. Mm -hmm. And even if even if you looked, I just read the New York Times this morning, the Arts and Leisure section, they're talking about the 10 best TV shows. I bet there are very few people... I bet very few people have seen more than three or four of them. Exactly. And, sure. and, and that would have been virtually impossible mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Yeah. And so in that environment, what is a writer supposed to do? And, mm -hmm. and of course, the thing you hear all the time is how do you, uh, how do you rise above the clutter? Mm -hmm. How do you make enough noise? Right. And this goes back to what we were talking about before. Uh, when when the, when the, in terms of what the 
gatekeepers are looking for. Um, I get so bored when I read about a, you know, a sex scene. All of a sudden, he pulls her into the closet, and within the first three pages, they're going mm. at it, and uh, you can find all sorts of interesting... <laughs> you know, just like, oh, it's been now, there, if it's, done if it, that. If it's motivated, mm -hmm. great. But now the surprising thing in a script is that doesn't happen, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. the, surprising, yeah. the surprising thing is somebody doesn't bring out a razor and slice somebody's throat and, it, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and then gets up again and does something else. I, I mean, it, it, so it's form should follow function, and this is where it's very, that, that goes back to having a keel. As a writer, you have to rely on your own sensibility. You can mm -hmm. have a broad back uh, in terms of things that you're interested in, right. and I think that uh, in today's world, the more arrows you have in your quiver in terms of spec material, the better off you are. Because one executive producer will say, I only want to read original material. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Um, other people, there's still people who say, I want there's to see spec yeah, scripts. Some, yeah. And John Wells is one of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, up to a, recently, I was one of them. And, mm -hmm. and wait, wait. I, you said up until recently. <laughs> well, because, so what changed your mind? What happened? Because I don't know enough of the shows that people are specking. Okay, gotcha. got it. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, it's more difficult for me to, to judge. It doesn't mean I won't read. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to training yourself as a writer, you must write spec scripts of existing mm -hmm. shows because I think, and, and you should love that show. Mm -hmm. And one of the things in the old days, one of the arguments, and I remember being on panels about this back in the day when this sort of stuff matters, should you submit a, a, a spec script of a show to the show that you wrote about? And, uh, <laughs> if you wrote a spec of Mr. Robot, for example, should you submit it to Mr. Robot? Not that you can mm -hmm. do it these days because right. that's a serialized sure, show. Sure. But, you know, uh, and my feeling was, yeah, why not? What are you trying to say? I'm not good, as good as your writers? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're getting in this game, <laughs> that's uh, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, uh, what am I supposed to say? Yeah, well, I I, I wrote a uh, um, a CSI or I wrote um, uh, a Good Wife, but I don't think it's as good as what you have on, so I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah. Now, oh, what what people wow. have, um, well, because what people would say is, well, they'll know where all the problems are, and I'd mm -hmm. say, well, bring it on. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like it it uh, what are you trying to fool the other people? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a Good Wife. It's kind of a mediocre Good Wife, but maybe you'll like it. <laughs> you know, maybe you'll like it. <laughs> I think the objection, though, uh, from from most people was that more legalistic. That as things change, sure. it used to be, and I recall that you could sign a release that would release the mm -hmm. person who was reading it from any oh, kind sorry. of uh, mm -hmm. uh, ability to be sued because you'd sure. taken things from mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And then it was, well, it has to be submitted through an agent, mm -hmm. uh, and that'll absolve the mm -hmm. reader of any responsibility. Um, but now it just seems to be de rigor that you just don't do it. You just don't submit something to that show. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, increasingly, these, these shows, you, you, you don't spec at all. But again, my advice to, to, to writers is find a show that you love and, um, and study it, reverse engineer it. Um, before you get a script for that show, watch it, and then you write the outline of it. Correct. And then get the material. <laughs> you know? In other words, yeah. you break it down and make yourself look at it and analyze it right. and then take a look at the script. And, uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Let me interrupt you. So you're talking about like how it used to be and like how it is today. So here's something that I've noticed. I'm on three different committees at the Writers Guild, right? The Black Committee, the Gay Committee, and the Education Committee. And I remember years back, the Black Committee, before I think over the last two years, it's completely changed. I mean, we have Empire and How to Get Away with Murder and all these other shows that are coming up with black faces. So that means behind the scenes, you're getting more black faces too right. and other people of color. Used to be like five or six of us in the black committee meeting. There are 60 people in the black committee meeting. Which is great. And 90% of them are staff writers. Your leadership is great, too, on that committee. <laughs> I do what I do. You know what I mean? I'm not even on the, the I'm not even a co-chair, but I, I kind of subliminally act like one. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just a, a personality. Um, uh -huh. And um, where I was going with that. So here's the interesting. Let's talk about this. Because a lot of people who listen to this are on staff, right, and, and working their way up. What I'm hearing is there's still a big issue with I get on a show, and then I never get on another show again. 
Right. You know, whereas before, like you said, you were on Remington Steel, you worked your way up to this point. You right. went on this show, you worked your way up to Co-EP. Like, you can't even do that anymore. Like, what can writers do to now when you get on a show that can help you get forward? That, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great question. And some of it has to do with the actual specific behavior of that writer on the show, okay. for which there is a program that Glenn Mazar and Kyle Haramoto mm-hmm. has started called the uh, Staff Writers Boot Camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's offered uh, once a year. Uh, f- to be eligible for it, you have to be in your first year as a staff writer on a mm-hmm. show. And they've pulled, uh, the last, I attended the last one, was 100, over 100 people there. Mm-hmm. And, and their, uh, their whole ethos of that <coughs> program is very much tackling those questions. How sure. do you not wash out? I mean, theirs is a little more, how do you not wash out after the first year? Yeah. So that one's more directed at behavioral issues. And like okay. one of the, just one of the things that came out of this, you're, you're not there to pitch problems, you're there to pitch solutions. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. don't just say, that doesn't work. That doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of very specific things. And the panelists they have up there are all middle-level writers who are very close to the experience that the audience has. And okay. I, think it's a, I think it's a great, um, uh, a terrific program and, and of great value. So that's the first thing. If there are listeners out there who are in that position, mm-hmm. take a look at the Writers Guild when that's offered again, and I think it'll, you'll find it a very worthwhile mm-hmm. time. The, the greater question, though, which is more systemic and institutional, is you've done a good job, the show goes off the air. Where's yeah, your where next you show? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and since, and I don't know who keeps the statistics now, if John Landgraf, if John Landgraf can't keep track of how many shows are there, <laughs> I don't know how anybody can, how statisticians can say what percentage of new shows fail. Okay. Mm-hmm. There, um, I've, always been, I've always wanted to meet a guy named David Poltrack at CBS who does, um, he's always quoted as being their statistician, and, <laughs> and he's got his hand on some pretty interesting stuff, and I'd mm-hmm. love to sit down with him sometime and pick his brain. <laughs> Maybe he knows. But mm-hmm. still, the overwhelming majority of shows don't succeed, sure. uh, ultimately. Um, so you're not alone if your show, you know, gets if, you're, mm-hmm. if your horse gets shot out from under you. But where do you find the next one? And again, by contrast, in the old days, your agent was teeing up the next job. Yes. And and so and so, you'd say, okay, that show looks like it's going off the air. I want you to meet these three people mm-hmm. on these three shows, and and then if you're lucky, you even get to choose between one mm-hmm. or two of them, maybe. Sure. Um, the agency business has changed. Everybody's been buffeted by what's been happening lately. Sure. And my feeling is that especially, uh, it kind of goes with what I was saying with the Hail Mary thing. Mm-hmm. The agent side of that argument is they, they're much more interested in their 3% of an overall show deal of a mm-hmm. package mm-hmm. than they are in your 10%. And you mm-hmm. as a writer think, oh, it's great. If they get a package deal, I don't have to pay my 10%. Well, they're going to take more money out of your pocket. Exactly. <laughs> it's not going to be as direct. It's going to be more subtle, and it's going to be over a much longer period of time. But... Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay if it's working in your favor to get a show on the air. But so what I've heard from members of the Writers Education Committee okay. is one of the great benefits to me of that mm-hmm. committee is to be in touch with people who are in this position and kind of, I, I feel I'm always getting news from the front. I'm mm-hmm. always getting the latest information about mm-hmm. what's happening. And uh, But you're somebody who wants to know. Yeah. You well, know, because if we have a panel or something, you come to everything. You're like part of, you don't have to, yeah, well, but you do. Yeah, well, it, you know what I mean? It interests me. Yeah, but right. you know what I mean? You want to know, like, what's podcasting? How does it work? What's right. this? What's that? Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, because we're all swimming in that sea, and I want to yeah. know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so my impression is that the agents aren't doing the job for these people. And mm-hmm. I'd say that one of the explanations is because the agents are over committed, and they're much more interested in where the big payout is for mm-hmm. them, which is not often maneuvering an individual staff writer sure. onto the next staff job. Mm-hmm. And plus, Careers. And plus what's happened is the pie of episodic television has grown somewhat over the last few years mm-hmm. in terms of aggregate dollars, but it's being sliced into so many more yeah. wedges that, yeah. that uh, people have gotten 
conservative, I mean, nothing succeeds like success. If you have a huge mm -hmm. hit, I'm thinking of something like Modern Family, one of these half hours that's really proven mm -hmm. itself. I'm sure that, I forget how many writers are on. I don't think mm -hmm. they can fit them on the cover of Written By. There's someone <laughs> there, you like know, 14 but, or 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And, and it's true, uh, and comedy is a different animal. Mm -hmm. But there's, I think it's equally true of, of a show like Bones or something like that that's, mm -hmm. that's just done a great job of staying mm -hmm. on the air or any of the of, of those, uh, that variety, those procedurals. And, uh, and they can flourish with having that large staff mm -hmm. and... Uh, and so they get it. That, that's the exception to the rule. I think most shows are looking to keep the budgets tight. And, and so therefore, and what's happened also is with the loss of overall deals, um, it all moves downhill. If you had people who were taken up by overall deals in the past, now mm -hmm. on the street, so to speak, they're going to take the mid to upper mid jobs True. that used to go to people who were climbing. People were coming okay. up. Now mm -hmm. you've got people coming down. And it's still right. happening. I mean, increasingly, those overall deals are not... Um, as prevalent, they still exist, True. but they're not as prevalent. And so you're still feeling the effect of people who would have been absorbed by True. that economy now back out in the market. They're mm -hmm. taking the upper jobs and the upper mid jobs. And so people who would have been normally climbing, they're staying in that middle. Okay. And what does that do to the staff writer? Mm -hmm. It's like if you have Keeps more experienced people competing mm -hmm. right. for those jobs. And mm -hmm. also with, uh, I mean, this, this, this business, as a friend of mine says, always went on two things, vanity and fear. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but w when you're afraid and you're uncertain, uh, you're going to make conservative decisions. Yes. And so if I've got writer A and writer B, and writer B's already been on a show, uh, that known quality is going to get the nod. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so it makes it even that much harder for the sure. staff writer. And so I just, for the first time in my career, hired a manager mm -hmm. um, because... And it's hard to separate one's individual situation from the business, mm -hmm. uh, but but I do think overall, uh, the idea of seeing yourself in some sense, even as a beginning writer, as a brand of some sort, which to me is, is, is it's anathema to me, and at the same time, it's part of the reality of show business. Right. I'm all you know. I'm much more interested in the show, mm -hmm. and and I think as writers, we should all be much more interested in the show. Mm -hmm. But without the business, you don't have a show. You know, it, it, it's, it's, I like to quote uh, what people say about Congress, about being in the House of Representatives. Before you save the world, you have to save your seat. You know, and and and, and, and I think it's. it's it's a campaign, right? You know, and, and I think it's true about writing. If, if you don't have a platform to speak from, you don't have a career. Okay. So, so uh, I, I found a manager that I thought understood where I was coming from and had uh, sold me on the idea that uh, he was going to look after my business, you know, mm. and really promote me as... Jeff Melvoin Inc. in a sense that mm -hmm. this Brand is what my client yes. can do yeah. yes. and, and he has these talents and th this is what he likes to do but I think the same could be and Could you know what the irony to that is people like myself and a lot of people that I know already think you are a brand. Right. So you know what I mean? So that's interesting that now you need to be taken you care of as a brand. Right. right. Yeah. Well, that's it. And I think I, think I um, because of the background, I mean, I, I, I certainly have rarely been accused of being falsely modest, I think. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I think I can be genuinely modest. Yes. But, but, but also, I think that, that one of the assumptions that I worked with in the business was, well, why would you need a manager if you're getting the work without it? And mm -hmm. I remember that Jeff Pinkner was the first guy I knew who had a manager. We were working on early edition together, the Kyle Chandler <laughs> show, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Jeff and Andre Nemec and, and, and Josh uh, Applebaum were all uh, young writers at that point, mm -hmm. and Jeff was going, and they're all very talented, and Jeff said he just hired a manager, and I said, but why? Why do you need a manager? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, he said, if I, if I get a job... Um, yeah, I'm spending 10, 10% more. But if I don't, um, you know, I, I'll have 90% of nothing, you know? Yeah. And uh, I thought, okay, but uh, 
again, I had enough faith in the business, and in mm-hmm. that case, in Jeff, I thought, well, do you need it? Well, uh, he's worked very consistently ever <laughs> since then. So you've and, made your whole career without having a yeah, manager? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but I, like I said, I think I was the beneficiary of a different period of time. Sure, but, sure, but, sure. but my mindset has changed. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that um, also... Uh, I believe in in value and getting uh, you know in getting bang for the buck, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, I understand the ten percent, mm-hmm. but I don't understand ten percent necessarily for a manager. And what's mm-hmm. why, why if I'm a writer, why am I giving away twenty percent? And mm-hmm. he said, uh, the argument that was made to me is that how many businesses have only a twenty percent overhead? You know, he said that's mm-hmm. if if I can make you into a better business and you get eighty percent of the proceeds. I like this. Dude. That's a pretty good. Okay. Business. <laughs> I thought, Sold. Okay, that's, that's a good argument. But one other thing that uh, to new writers in particular, that, that, you know, attorneys now are increasingly an important part of the game. And mm-hmm. I don't know where this happened, but now it's assumed that an attorney will get 5% of what you do. That's all my attorney gets. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, for what? You know, it's like... Uh, 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 you got a lot of paperwork to do. I mean, come on. <laughs> it, it's, it's like, uh, negotiate a deal, charge me the hourly rate, show me what you did, and I'll pay you for it. Right. And I'll pay the best for it. But right. why should you get 5%? And of course, I'm working from the position that this I always take the show thing it's going to go for at least five years sure, I mean that's sure, the only sure. way you, you can you can make you have that. to work like that yeah right and so it goes for five years and then okay so you worked for a couple days to get this thing set up mm-hmm. and now you just sit back and take five percent of my money mm-hmm. uh, why you know <laughs> I mean it, it's like uh, 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 it's like what entitles you to that mm-hmm. and I remember one attorney I talked to said well we could still do things like your property taxes and so I said thanks you know <laughs> it, 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 it's it's so I mean that's become the industry standard but I I and again, this is no knock against lawyers, although there's plenty of knocks that one could take. But, mm-hmm. but uh, like I said, I believe in, in, in paying for something valuable, but, but I just don't understand the rationale mm-hmm. for an ongoing fee for what is essentially a short-term yeah, bit of work. That's really... Um, this has got to go in your book, too. This yeah, is yeah, interesting. Yeah, you know, so, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, there's certain things where fee for and service. It, no. and, it, and, and the chap talk, why? Right. Why? <laughs> 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 right. But while we're on that subject, and getting back to what you asked a little while ago mm-hmm. about staff writers and how they, I think it's, it, it certainly is an incorrect assumption, or let me put it in positive terms. The first job is going to come from you. And maybe the second job, not from your agent. That's mm-hmm. correct. And there's always the exception to the rule, but they are. I don't rare. know anybody yeah, right. who's gotten their job from right. their agent. And once you get a the job, first time, yeah. Mm-hmm. And once you get a job, then you get to pick your agents. Mm-hmm. You know, because right. the agents that will take you on untested. Yeah. Because um, you get on staff, and they come looking for you. Well, of course they do. <laughs> you know I mean? mean, they're sharks in the water. <laughs> they mm-hmm. smell that blood, and they. <laughs> oh, 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 you barely walk in the door. <laughs> <laughs> Where's it's this? Like leeches. true. You're just chum, you know, and they're they're coming right for you. But, uh, but, but yeah, you, you, you're not going to get your first job through your agent. And I think increasingly now what we're talking about is you got a staff job. You think, well, now my agent's job is easier because mm-hmm. I can be sold as more of a proven commodity. Mm-hmm. And in theory, that's true. But in reality, we're just finding anecdotally that's not mm-hmm. true. So again, uh, my advice is you've got to work it while you've got your current job. You've yeah. got to you know stay in touch with people, figure out what's going on. And I'm a big believer in an in initiative. If if there's a show on the air that uh, that you admire and you know somebody that's working there, uh, you say I'd just like to have lunch with you. Or I'd like to meet with you or something mm-hmm. like that. Just, I just want to say this is great. I love mm-hmm. this show. I, I build relationships mm-hmm. because. Um, because that's what's gonna that's what's gonna be in, in, mm-hmm. important, and mm-hmm. the assumption that it's being done for you, 
while you're currently working, which used to have, I think, more basis to believe, mm -hmm. um, seems to be something I wouldn't put a lot of faith in. Mm -hmm. and I mean, why do you think I have my office here? Yeah. <laughs> and I sit here with my door wide open. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and people walk in almost every day. Some new producer walks in right. and goes, you have the cutest office. Right. And we just get into a conversation. I just had one yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, this you is where I mean? my academic side hurts me to a fault. Because I'm saying, no, people should come to me because of the work that I've done. <laughs> it, you know, it's like, I don't... I remember once an agent came through mm -hmm. uh, the Remington Steel offices, and again, this goes back to that period of time, and they said, hey, you know, I want to sign you. I said, uh, but you haven't read me. He said, no, but when I do, I know I'm going to want to sign you. And I said, I will never, I'll, never, I'll never go with somebody like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and right. I remember there was a guy running a show that was on the air and wanted me to consider uh, doing another show with him, and this was a big producer, mm -hmm. and I said, well, have you read me? No, I haven't read you yet, and and I said to myself, I don't want to work with this guy. Mm, I mean, right. what a schmuck I was. But, um, but, <laughs> but, 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 but the point was that, again, that was my attitude, is that, right. is that no, there was a purity to this. And by the way, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. as I said, going back to the beginning, mm -hmm. you have to maintain knowledge of who you are and what mm -hmm. you are. But um, uh, as George Higgins, the crime writer, I interviewed him mm -hmm. once, uh, and he said, you know, I, I can't be bought, but I can be leased. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I think I that like that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of like the attitude that I... Uh, that I adapt to is that okay I've got to loosen up a little bit and it there is a game aspect to this mm -hmm. and um and some people play too too much of a game player, but sure. but there's also like in my own case, just uh, casting a little bit of a critical eye. You can be a victim of of not playing enough of a game or not seeing it that way. Because I don't care if you don't think you are playing a game. We're all in the game, yes. and and it's a, just a question of what you're willing to do mm -hmm. to remain part of it. Mm -hmm. So to say that no, it's just my work alone, and as if <laughs> as if there was some I, I, divine I, I. agency that had done this, you know, a virgin birth. No, I don't think so. You know, it. Uh, uh, so even that is a bit of self-deception. So okay. it's just a question of where you are. So that's, you know, that, that and so far I'm finding it, it true that, that having a manager is helpful. And even in the sense that uh, I think actors very often like a manager because somebody will actually return their calls and, so to speak, hold their hand when mm -hmm. they need it. And mm -hmm. we all need that from time to time. But <laughs> one of the things my, my manager said is, because he knows the people over at my agency, he says, mm -hmm. I know how to poke that bear. And that bear needs to be poked. And I said, okay. So. I love this. Dude. I know. <laughs> Let me ask you this. It was a conversation I was having um, online with my Twitter peeps when we were talking, you know, like, you know, I do mm -hmm. Saturday Night Sci-Fi or mm -hmm. different shows that we're watching we live sure. tweet. And one of the things that's interesting now that's happening, because you know a lot of the shows like Net, uh, Netflix and different places. Um, Crackle now. Crackle, with that. A lot Peter, of shows that are coming out, mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying the smaller seasons, because mm -hmm. you oh, I can see more shows. When they're dumping all the shows that so people can binge watch. Right. And one of the things somebody was saying, and I, I thought about it, I thought, oh my God, I think I'm becoming that person. I just <laughs> want your opinion on it. Which is some people are saying, well, you know what, these new shows that are coming out, I'm kind of wanting to binge watch them all at one time. I don't really have time and want to sit and wait for the next week and the next week after that. Mm -hmm. And when they, we were talking about it, I said, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. Because we were watching, um, what was it? I think it was Dark Matter and The Expanse and a couple of shows. And it was like, we're watching it. And I automatically want to watch the whole entire six. I had the time to do it, and I want to watch the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, how are you feeling about when people are saying things like that? Oh, I don't know I'm going to stay with the show because I kind of want to watch them all at one time as opposed to waiting week after week and kind of doing the serialized. Week. I mean, that's a good question for you. I mean, because that's I, cause where we're that's going. Because that's the new thing. Because <clears throat> mm -hmm. I'm... I, 
I would never have thought this like mm. ten years ago. Sure. When people are like, oh well, you know, you know, who's not going to be watching TV on mm-hmm. TV at the time the show comes on? Sure, sure. Where people are like, oh well, you know, I'm like people are DVRing. Okay, I can understand if you have to go to work. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I don't even watch stuff on TV. I know. I watch it on my computer. Mm-hmm. And when I'm feeling really feisty, mm-hmm. I plug it up to my LCD and give a big screen outside mm-hmm. if I want to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I realize, oh my God, I have changed. You know, and my viewing habits have changed. Yeah. Where, like, my thing is, I binge watch, yeah. and I plan a whole day of binge watching. Yeah. I was up late last night watching three episodes Child. of Jessica Jones. Look, I mean, look, I was just look, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. What is your opinion like yeah, in I'm terms of the new, the new TV watching? Like, how do you feel about that? Where well, people are saying, like, I don't know if I want to spend time waiting on a show to come on mm-hmm. next week. Mm-hmm. What's I want it all now. I mean, how one feels about it is is distinctive from what's happening. I mean, it's like, I, I, I don't want to be like King Canute trying to hold back the tide. I mean, it's happening. You know, happening. I could stand there as the water comes up to my knees and my thighs uh-huh. and saying, no, roll back. But mm-hmm. it, it ain't happening. But I, I think it's, it's um, for me personally, as a viewer, let me start there. As a viewer, it, it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, but I'm not the ideal demographic for what I think people are, are looking at. But for me personally, uh, I like the pace of once a week. It's what I grew up with and I'm sure. comfortable mm-hmm. with it. And, uh, um, uh, just as an example, because I wasn't able this year to keep up with Empire, I have all ten on my DVR, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think it was ten. And 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 I'm to me, and this has nothing to do with Empire because mm-hmm. I really I think it's an important show to watch. And um, but I kind of dread having to sit down and watch ten hours because mm-hmm. I don't have that kind of concentrated mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. or I choose not to do it that right. way. Uh, I like to read. I mm-hmm. like to play guitar. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's things I you know for me to take ten hours and and, and watch. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 by contrast, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. And, oh, okay. and uh, oh, but he can watch Game of Thrones. Oh, well, right, uh-huh. right. But but I watch. I like the once a week. quality. They're downstairs, by the way. You know. Yeah. yeah. I like the once a week quality because I say it. And next week, good. I'm going to think about what I just saw. And I'll mm-hmm. next week I'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've binged some things, and I'm working on a binge show right now. I'm mm-hmm. working with uh, Shane Black and. Fred Decker on, a, on an okay. Amazon pilot. Okay. Called, he's going to drop Shane Black's name. <laughs> like no, it's right. Shane Black. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's called Edge. It's a spaghetti western. Okay. And they made the pilot. And uh, and now Amazon is asking for, initially they asked for some help with the story material for the next nine episodes. And now mm-hmm. that they've seen what we did, they said, gee, could we see three more scripts? And uh, so we've agreed to, to mm-hmm. do that, okay. at least uh, pending the deal working out, mm-hmm. and uh, which I think it will. And so... I've been immersed in this in this binging thing, and and it's been fascinating because the logic that you apply, the craft that you apply, is mm-hmm. different than a once a week show. Sure. And I even find myself saying, yeah. And then next week they'll be able. To, oh no, it's like the idea is we want them to keep. We want them to. They can't wait to hit that button mm-hmm. and wait for eighteen seconds to go by, and then the next one. I do. Oh, before the credit go, I go. Look, and so, play. Shop, please. <laughs> I think about it. It's really not even at like it's really like forty minutes. Mm-hmm. So even though you're binge watching, like that time and it. 15 seconds, comes through, I go to the bathroom, re-up the snack, mm. and then I'm watching it again. I yeah. never thought I was going to do that. Right. I was like you. I like to have that once a week, and hey, but I've changed. But it's not going to mm. be It's not going to be an either-or universe as we move forward. It's going to be a both-and. Both, yeah. and, and I think that one of the things that's been interesting about working with Shane and Fred on this is that originally it was pitched as a series of one-offs. It's based on a series of novels about okay. this drifter. It's very much a man-with-no-name type of character. Mm-hmm. And when that didn't sell as a series of one-offs, it... Uh, uh, when it landed at Amazon, they say, we love this, but it has to be serialized because of our demands that it be bingeable. Right. And so they dutifully inserted these qualities that would make it a seasonal arc type okay. of show. And it's been interesting trying to extrude that now across nine more episodes, mm-hmm. particularly when 
the Western, as a rule, is much more a stranger rides into town. And mm-hmm. at the end, it's Shane, come back, you know. Uh, but, <laughs> and, so, and then if Shane did come back, he'd say, oh, well, no, well, well, no, you're not supposed to come back. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like Shane's Next town, to, next yeah, town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Paladin, Paladin, okay. where do you roam? You know, well, if, well I'm roaming right back here. Um, right, right. So, so that's been an interesting exercise, and, and I think we're successfully uh, answering it. But I, I think that. Uh, what it shows is that not all material is perhaps ideally suited to that form. And again, mm-hmm. it goes back to form should mm-hmm. follow function. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna pitch in the serialized environment, mm-hmm. um, then you have to know that, that that that's one of the that's the nature of it. You have to end it with some sort of cliffhanger, sure. some sort of reason for the viewer to, to keep coming, yeah. and that and that and that the executives are going to be looking for that very strongly. And if you can't satisfy it, then uh, then you're not going to have that show on the mm-hmm. air. And and so it's just, again, to say that it for a particular type of show, mm-hmm. uh, and you're also asking for an investment of saying, there's something, like I said, when I look at my DVR and see that I have 10 episodes of a show piled up, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. wow. I mean, it's like... I've, <laughs> you see, uh, oh, I've done that, too. I've done that. I'm going to yeah. say, I have to climb that mountain. Okay. You know, if, if you say, well, you know, <laughs> you don't have to eat 10 bowls of oatmeal all at once. You can yes. have once mm-hmm. a week, you yes. know. Okay, yes. I'll do that, you know. Yeah. And, so it, and so you have to really love it. To, I mean, it's got to be, it can't be oatmeal, it's got to be potato chips or mm-hmm. peanuts. You know, it's like, okay, I want it all. Salt, you know? dude, salt. Right, right, <laughs> but, then, right, but, right. but then just like that, just like that analogy, I mean, it's, then you feel a little bloated maybe. Like, oh my God, what did I just do? Um, so, uh, but, so there was a show on Netflix recently with some people that I really admire made it. And I looked at the first one and I said, it's really well done and I just don't care enough to watch nine more hours of it. And, and that's, uh, that's honest. Um, and and mm-hmm. so, whereas if it was on once a week, I might have said, I'm going to watch the next week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know what? I'm kind of interested in this. And investing mm-hmm. once a week and, and having it, even though um, we're in a time-shifted universe, so very few of us watch a show when yeah. it actually drops. Right. Um, yeah. uh, there was still that once-a-week quality. I mean, I might watch Game of Thrones on Monday or Tuesday, but I'm certainly going to watch it before the yeah. next Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and that's just so, so I think it's... it's you know, my, my advice to writers is if you've got an idea that, that's suited to that, then that's where you need to go. And I think it's an interesting concern for the uh, Netflix, Hulu, Crackle, mm-hmm. you know, HBO space is um, how flexible are they going to be? Yeah. Uh, because uh, to, to run 10 hours of a, of a serialized show is... Uh, that's a big demand on, on whatever the seasonal plot is. And mm-hmm. I know within what we were talking about in Edge, there's a MacGuffin that's introduced mm-hmm. uh, in the pilot. And the suggestion that Shane made, because uh, we're doing you know we're doing nine more episodes. And he I love said, how he just calls him Shane. Yeah, I know. And, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's his cousin. That's you know, know. <laughs> Mr. Black said that. Uh, uh, but uh, suggested... Well, what if we pay that off in episode seven and not wait until ten? Mm-hmm. And uh, because that's where it seems to want to pay off. Because mm-hmm. we were trying to extend it and right. hold it. And I said, I think that's kind of brilliant because our hero has a motivation that takes him beyond the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin mm-hmm. is only one part of what this villain is up to. The villain survives that episode. The MacGuffin mm-hmm. doesn't, but the villain's going to. As I said in the story document, it's like, okay, so that's the end of the first movie, but the Empire strikes back. Uh, you know, yeah, in other yeah, words, yeah. okay, so Darth Vader may be spinning off into space, but right. he's coming back, and he's yeah. going to come back badder than he did before. Yeah. Right. And and that's kind of the way we we, we decided to get rid of that particular because it, it, to us. It would have been torturing that story point to extend it for another three episodes. Mm-hmm. Whereas by taking, getting rid of it, uh, or, or disposing of it earlier than the audience might think, they say, "Oh, we're getting a special treat mm-hmm. for Christmas." As right. long as it doesn't let the air out of the balloon, right? And and that's okay. the tension. But I think we can I think we can satisfy that. I mean, Amazon will let us know whether they agree with us when they they look at these scripts. But um, but it's just it's just to say that this is something that's been on my mind and. Not every show I watch do I want it to have 
that kind of, uh, I, I, let me put it this way, there's a, there's a nice thing to continuing storylines that don't necessarily, you have to watch every episode to appreciate it. And from an economic point of view, it's interesting because in my lifetime on, in TV, uh, reruns have become Mm -hmm. uh, very much endangered, and it used yeah. to be. Now I have friends on on certain shows like CSI where that oh that, that that big hit oh, still is. Oh, yes. You know, one script. That juggernaut. Yeah, one yeah. script is worth like ninety grand because mm -hmm. you're going to get paid the first time, the second time mm -hmm. it shows on network, and you get your foreign residuals. So that kind of <laughs> was my favorite word. Yeah. Green envelope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you can still get that big payday, but most of us and. I know my goal, and I, when I came out, I said, if I can make a living as a writer, uh, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, making a living on Hollywood terms is different than mm -hmm. it is in, in, in maybe like every standard other person, Midwestern terms. Every other person yeah. is more wealthier than you, you or whatever. Right, <laughs> and, unless you live in Manhattan or San Francisco mm -hmm. or select other places. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, So there's a certain standard you have to satisfy, but it's not like you had to you'd get that brass ring and, and then buy an island in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, and... So the new universe does hold the promise that you can actually do that by doing work that's more limited in scope, arguably more artistic in terms of its reach, right. writing more literature, writing these serialized mm -hmm. stories. But still there's room for these, these, here's a great anthological idea, like essentially what the CSIs mm -hmm. and all of those mm -hmm. things are. That's a, those are one-offs that are really interesting right. and, uh, uh, or a genuine anthology where mm -hmm. you're telling a different story every week. And there's, there's going to be room for that too. And so it's, it's not going to be all, all one or the other. But... Uh, so again, I think it's important to know as a writer where you're coming from, what your predilection is, right. and uh, if you get in, if you get involved with one of these longer, one of these serialized series, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's the universe you're entering, and those are the rules you have to play by. Sure. And there's also something else that's happening with writers that the, the economic part of it. For me, at this point in my career, it's great. The idea of doing ten episodes, I love it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like being almost on an academic calendar. <laughs> right, Whereas right. in the old days, when it was 22 episodes or 25 episodes, you you go in six you be, eight months. You begin work in May, <laughs> and you come up for air in in late March, early April, and you're back at it in mm -hmm. May. Not that again. I'm complaining. You know, mm -hmm. my kids are through school, yeah. and you know, it's, yeah. it's nice. Uh, but. Uh, uh, but the problem with the way the business, the business is changing faster than in many cases, uh, the Writers Guild has had ability to keep up with certain aspects mm -hmm. of it, and they're, and they're doing a good job of trying to address it. But the, the fact is, if you were under contract for close to 45 weeks or 48 weeks doing a 22-episode show, mm -hmm. if you get a 10-episode show, the standard way things used to work is, well, we're going to keep you under wraps for almost the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. We're not paying you for that period yep. of time, but, mm -hmm. but they you can't put you on hold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. that's a problem that's come up uh, that the Writers Guild is trying to address and that young writers need to take a look at. Yeah, because, exactly. And also, what's a, what's a pleasure to me, which is great, I get to work hard and it's like four-day tire store and then I get to take the time <laughs> off. Um, you know, when you're young and, and, first of all, you want the work and you want the money, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be salting it yep. away and it's mm -hmm. harder to do it and God forbid you're on a team and you're doing 10 episodes, yeah. you know. it's. Uh, I mean, you can keep your head above water, but yeah. you're not exactly going to be salting it away mm -hmm. uh, uh, under usual conditions yeah, here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's another thing that makes the universe, uh, I mean, makes the environment just uh, harder to operate in. It's, I mean, it's a, and I think for all of us, we just have to admit, and, and it's a bewildering time. And uh, uncertainty does not make for good business climate in certain mm -hmm. ways. But there's a lot of excitement, and uh, and in some ways there's more opportunity than ever. But as we've discussed, the, it's hard to know how to exploit those opportunities. Because yeah. mm -hmm. uh, things are changing so rapidly, and yeah. people are still trying to figure out, how does this work? And right. Now, we'll see. Like I said, with Netflix, I think they just announced, what, 30 more new shows they're doing? It's crazy. Scripted shows. and. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like there's opportunity, but I think right now it's people trying to figure out how does that work. Right, and here's a, here's another analogy. Back sure. what I said uh, said before is that 
when I came up in the business, there was a very clear solar system, and the networks were the sun, and mm -hmm. everything else that was coming on was a satellite of the sun. Yep. I love that. And, and you, could understand, you could understand it. And right. I said, okay, I understand where the sun is, and we're all just revolving around that. Okay. And then the sun exploded. And now we're uh, in the asteroid belt? <laughs> 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 trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Uh -huh. that, that, that's, really, that's really right. Uh -huh. We're all flying uh -huh. to the edges of the universe, and, and, and the question is, will there be any kind of central mass anymore that's uh -huh. large enough to be considered that's the norm, and everything uh -huh. else can be thought of in right. terms mm -hmm. of how, and I'm not sure. You know, when you mm -hmm. talk about uh, about Netflix ordering all these shows, and, and Amazon's in the space now, and and, mm -hmm. and you've certainly got HBO, who I consider the you know the the paragon of mm -hmm. all of this, um, and Showtime, uh, and and God knows what else. Will anybody actually acquire that kind of specific gravity that you can mm -hmm. say, okay, that's now the model? That yeah. those these are the three or four players that are the center, and everything else revolves. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. I, I, I you know, it, it, and it, it's an it's a fascinating question, mm -hmm. and I'm glad I'm able to contemplate it from my particular seat, <laughs> career, as opposed to being 25 or 35 years old and thinking yeah. WTF. You know, well, <laughs> you've seen yeah, from here into now, and you're still in the game. It's like the changes, and, that, and I almost feel like, like you said, you're doing some things right where you're trying to like help new showrunners, new mm -hmm. people, it's kind of like giving a whole perspective. Like here, young children, mm -hmm. right? Here is where we used to be, and it's changing. These are some of the things, the sure. things I can give you. And at the same time, you know, the older writers, who I think are the better writers anyway. Oh yeah, I mean, my, sta my <laughs> staff saying. would be full of mostly I'm just saying, older because writers because most of them they have lived life and they're yep. bringing something new and yep. fresh because they've lived the real world yep. and they have some input that's going to be different from somebody mm -hmm. straight out of film school who's just not my first job and I don't know mm -hmm. and your little bubble world. You know, it's not the same as someone who's had. That's true. just my personal opinion, <laughs> even though it's true. <laughs> but it's like there's so many changes, and I just think that this is a great opportunity for our, a lot of our seasoned veterans to really like rein us in and tell mm -hmm. us, "Hey, calm, calm yourself." <laughs> well, well, that's it. I mean, you still good writing is still good writing, exactly. Regardless, and, 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 yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, you know, and that and that you really. Uh, need to learn the principles. I mean, that, the showrunner training program has had to adapt a bit to this, but fundamentally, if you give people the principles of what it is to... But you guys just announced to, 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 the, everybody who got in, right? right yeah. 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 Uh, we just, yeah, this is our 11th year, and a very difficult year. We had a, a more applicants than we've ever had, 130 very qualified applicants mm -hmm. for 25 slots. Um, and... Uh, but look, look, look. but look, let me tell you how cool he is. He still allows them. What do you have like a day where you give them a well? Anybody like who applies, uh, we give a we give. There's a half day highlights program where we give them um, some of the, uh, the some of the uh, benefits of what we talk about. We mm -hmm. highlights of certain areas, and so they uh, don't do the whole six week, but they get like one crash. Little, well, because yeah. because we never the idea was not to make. The idea was to have an elite program in the best sense, but not make it an elitist program, and certainly mm -hmm. not to make this Big information exclusive. Right. Sure. But as you know, as a teacher, the form in which you teach, there are huge lecture halls and then there's seminars, and this has a more of a seminar right. master class mm -hmm. Uh, feel, which means that it's as dependent on the interchange with the with the people who are in the class. Mm -hmm. That's as important to the quality of the program as any top-down discussion that goes on. And there's very little top-down sure. because our mm -hmm. business is inherently mm -hmm. anecdotal, and we can right. we can talk about principles and stuff, but. Uh, but nevertheless, there are some top-down things that we talk about, and um, those are the things we tend to offer in the highlight program because I want anybody who's applied has already had to be, either be a writer, producer, or have active development. So they're mm -hmm. already doing really well, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and and we want to keep them in the tent, and and, right. uh, and so that's one thing we do. And then uh, Glenn Mazzara and... Uh, Chris Kaiser suggested a couple years ago that we put together a crash course for people who had uh, 
recently gotten their shows picked up but, but haven't been in the program. Either they mm -hmm. applied and weren't in or maybe they never even applied. So mm -hmm. we've done that for two years. And I, I, the, the difference between that curriculum, it's a little longer day, and the impulse and the tone is a little more urgent. I mm -hmm. liken it to Willem Dafoe in Platoon where he gets this <laughs> new guy in the, yeah. and, and, and he goes through the guy's pack and says, you don't need this, you don't need this. Get rid of that. that. You're, you're humping too much stuff. Right, right, <laughs> right. what you need to do right. and you might stay alive. And of course, the end of that story is <laughs> Bring your boots and a rifle. And, That's and, all and, you and, need. And, right. and that, William didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nor did this guy. This okay. guy gets killed on his first patrol. But you know, we try not to tell him that part. But So we do what we do what we can there. But the idea is, the principle is, um, is is to teach principles and tools, yes. and mm -hmm. uh, uh, I've said it's a little bit like Lamaze. Nothing can replace the pain of childbirth <laughs> or the experience of childbirth. <laughs> but if you're more prepared, uh, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have a better time. You still gonna have that pain, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. but at least you have an understanding exactly. you know, of right. what's happening. Right. You know? well, like, well, let's let Jeff go because he's he's standing a little later. We appreciate it. Well, thank yes. you, my man. Uh, my pleasure. Yes, I call him Uncle Jeff. He don't know, but I call him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Of, right. I'm, I'm assuming you're not on Twitter and all that stuff like that, right? Yes. You, are you on Twitter? Yeah, I, I Jeff, believe I am, Jeff. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how active I am. Oh I mean, because once the show runs, you got to be tweeting us. Believe me, uh -huh. believe me, believe me. If the book comes out or right. if I get another show. We'll have you back on and we'll promote it. We're in I'll, 80 I'll, countries right now. Okay, and I'll know my Twitter number or my Twitter handle. Uh, Jeff's manager. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. That goes on the uh, that, uh, that goes uh, on the punch list right you, now. You, you need to d work on that. Exactly. <laughs> well, seriously, man, thank you again. Yeah, I really pleasure. appreciate it. Right. And um, like I said, you know, you're somebody that I admire and look up to, and I always appreciate you know seeing you. You're always the same shows. person every time yes. I see you. You're yeah. consistent. I yes. love that. Yes. You know. So are you at Lisa Lisa Cold Jam? Well, you guys know I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> She's on Twitter now. Look at her. I'm a Twitter junkie. Yes, but you can also find me uh, reading my film criticisms and film reviews on Bitchflix. Mm -hmm. And you can also find me on most Saturday nights, Saturday Night Sci-Fi with Geek Soul Brother and a bunch of uh, my tweets. What's up, Geek? And uh, all the geeky, nerdy people who like to watch shows, whether it's the TV, <laughs> sci-fi, old classics, new films, and we just like to live tweet and have fun yeah. and post pictures and craziness. And so your, your spaghetti western is kind of a genre. Oh, yeah. yes, it is. Okay, good. Yes, good. it is. All yes, right. it is. And we got to so know. So you can get all of her people on yeah. there. Yeah, because the fun thing about it is with new shows, I. I love live tweeting new mm -hmm. shows and watching it because it's like it's like an affirmation of yeah I really like this show, and I really like tweeting with other people who like mm -hmm. it too you know and that way you know it's just a fun community especially and it's immediate us. yeah and it's mm -hmm. not like you know and for the writer in me I get to not be a writer mm -hmm. I just get to be someone who just loves shows mm -hmm. and watch the show and just really be supportive of new new stuff mm -hmm. that's uh -huh. good. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. <laughs> I love saying that shit. <laughs> and you guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters Rant Room. At, I'm sorry, Screenwriters RR at, um, on Twitter. Or you can follow the show, Screenwriters Rant Room at gmail.com. If you have any questions for us, do not call me asking, can Jeff read your script? Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you. Because he ain't going to do it. Um, uh, <laughs> I have to put that out there. Yeah, you, like, people people will be like, hey, you know Jeff? Can you? I'm like, no, bitch. Uh, no. no. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. So please do me a favor. Give us a five-star review on Twitter. On Twitter? On iTunes. I always say that, don't I? I don't know what's wrong I got, with you. <laughs> I'm all hoarse from watching that fight last night. Okay, that's what you Anyway, 
Um, five-star review on iTunes. We really need that for The Matrix. It really helps us. We want to get to that top, you know, 100, because that would be Yeah, badass. one day I want to be, I can't remember if it was BuzzFeed or one of the ones, they talked about the top new podcasts of 2015. Oh, yeah. And next year, that's And Mick Bettencourt was on there, Little Bastard. I know, mm-hmm. but, you know, he deserves to be on there. Oh. So we trying to be like him, yeah. and one day get one of those lists. Right. So. Well, when you co-EP level, you can have people reading, you know. We just over here trying to make shit happen. Well, you know, know what I mean? it will happen. So 2016 <laughs> will be here. We will make. So we'll it have happen. to bring Jeff on every week okay. then. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, the babies need you. <laughs> so anyway, you guys know how we do it on the rent room. Join in with me for 2015. On the show, we keep it street. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? 2015. Peace, y'all. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing and doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the red room, 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 room.